Hello and welcome, dreamers, to our 2005 episode of the Dreamcast Years podcast. Uh, my name's Andrew, and as ever, we'll be taking a journey into one of the golden years of gaming, which we've decided were 1997 until 2008. Uh, this is loosely based around the years that the Dreamcast was a, a current console, uh, as the last officially licensed game was released in Japan for the Little White Box in 2007. We've just added a year either side because, well, why not? Uh, joining me on this journey uh, to my two travelling companions, who between them have accompanied me during every year so far. Uh, first up, we have a Dreamcast fan who celebrated his birthday only yesterday. Uh, he's currently waiting on the next generation while we all look back mm. at the previous ones and has finally made the leap to 4K. Uh, it's the man having something of a gaming renaissance at the moment. It's Rich. How's I wouldn't it going, say Rich? I wouldn't say renaissance, but hey, still. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm doing okay. Yeah, um, yeah. Impatiently waiting for my Series X to arrive. Many angry phone calls to very. Um, so yeah, we won't be plugging very on this podcast. Um, but yeah, Should I'm I bleep them out. Yeah, you can. No, I don't mind. <laughs> Have you? So you got um, one of your birthday presents, which we've discussed quite a lot, is the Dawn yes. of the Dead 4K uh, HD mm-hmm. remaster. Have you? You've got nothing to play that on yet, right? Well, you've got I watched, the TV. I watched the. I've got my still got my Xbox One, so I watched the uh, sure. special features disc. It's a regular Blu-ray. So, of course. There were some new documentaries on that compared to the uh, Ultimate Edition I've already got. So, ah, yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. Very, very good. I'm super excited. Nice. Nice. Um, all right. Well, next up uh, is someone who's more of a Sony fan than, than a Dreamcast fan, I suppose. And in fact, has already made the leap to the next gen. He's got his finger on the trigger, and that trigger has haptic feedback. Uh, it's the insightful, informative, and incomparable, to use one of Steve's words. Uh, it's Steve. How's it going? Oh, hello. I'm good. How are oh, you? All right, thank you. How's the PS5? Good. Those triggers, man. Yeah. Those triggers. Like, I, I I, read about the haptics beforehand and thought, that sounds pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And then I used it, and it was, like, genuinely a bit of a rev- re- re- revelation. Nice. They're very impressive. Amazing. Uh, I, I, just, I just hope that that becomes a gaming staple mm-hmm. going going forward yeah the xbox doesn't have anything similar does it i i i expect i hope it, like if the xbox gets them which i hope they mm. do and i wouldn't be surprised if they do then that will make it a staple so i really hope that happens oh, fingers crossed we will see we will see um so our guest this time um is someone who loves gaming tech uh and has a, a penchant as i guess how you pronounce it for retro as well uh however his love of gaming spans all generations uh so uh, he was also lucky enough uh, to get into the next generation uh, recently uh this is the gentleman to whom i gave the title screenshot technician uh in my book dreamcast year <laughs> one um a role which he will reply a reprise for year two uh, it's the man with an eye for detail a head for technology and a heart for gaming it's Mahmoud Sheikh, how's it going? Oh, thank you. I'm all right. I'm all right. Uh, your introduction takes <laughs> me a lot, a lot more grandiose than I am. So <laughs> <laughs> hey, you've got to go all out with introductions. You know, it's got to be, it's oh, got to be I, all I or nothing. It. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I hope I live up to the moniker. <laughs> I'm sure you will. Uh, how are you enjoying the PS5? Uh, I'm enjoying it a lot. I, I actually upgraded from the PS4, and um, it's it's one of those things where it's definitely a leap forward. Like um, mm. like I game on the PC as well, so it's not that that far of a leap forward as I expected. But at the same time, it does bring it up to date a lot, and 
I'm expecting a lot from it from the next um, five to seven years, and mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. I will agree with um, with Steve saying uh, with Steve when he said that the well not not specifically the triggers but the uh, but the haptics and the feedback that you get from the controller that is that is truly next gen like um, mm-hmm. spe- especially in Astro's Playroom like um, you can actually feel um, like like you can actually feel um, rain in the environment uh, as it Jeez. comes down in wow. your hands on the controller and the speaker on the controller itself actually fools you into thinking that rain's falling on it. That's because, pretty cool. Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. And, Crazy. Uh, Microsoft and, and needs best, to uh, do this now. <laughs> I'm, I'm jealous. The, the, the best part of that level was that um, there's actually a bit in that level where there's actually some light rain in the beginning of the level so you can actually feel some light rain falling on it. And then later on the level, there's hailstones, so you get this heavier feeling as well. Wow! Like, and and you can actually feel the drops falling on the controller, which is weird. Crazy! That's that's madness. There's um there's also a part in the game where you get a bow and arrow, and you know how when you if you've ever drawn a bow, you'll know they get more dif- difficult to draw as you pull back, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that happens on the trigger. But you know how bows like creak under tension. Every time the bow creaks, you feel the vibration in the trigger, and it feels exactly like you're using a bow and arrow. Wow. Like it's it's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> oh. And um, and there's also a bit where you actually use a gotcha machine, like uh, one of those machines where you take out those um, uh, balls with the little toys inside. Oh yeah. And you're using a robot, so you can actually feel uh, the force of pulling a lever and and. Uh, the dual sense actually, like, you actually have to put in a certain amount of force in order to break the ball when it comes into your hands, and that gives you little figurines and puzzle pieces and stuff, and mm. it's really cool. And, um, oh, it's, it's, th- th- there's a lot to it. There's a lot to it. Mm. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with this. And the SSD is amazing. Like, lo- load times on this, on this, uh, on the PS5 are absolutely brilliant. Like, there's a fast travel option in Astro's Playroom. It literally mm-hmm. takes a second wow. to go from one area to another. Just it, it literally takes a second. Like Spider-Man, um, when you play, I've only played Remasters for five and played Miles Morales yet. Mm-hmm. Um, you can change between fidelity and performance mode in that game, and it doesn't change in game. It actually resets back to a checkpoint, but it literally takes a second to reset back to a checkpoint. Mm, Where on the crazy. PS4, wow. it used to take like five seconds. It's this instant; mm-hmm. it goes back. Yeah. Well, to to take you back to previous generations when none of this was a thing, and you had to wait for ages <laughs> for things to load. Um, oh, one no. of the questions, the questions <laughs> I ask uh, people on this podcast, uh, the first question I ask um, is, "What's your favorite Dreamcast game?" Mahmood, what's the, what's the best Dreamcast game? Oh god, I've I've actually sung its praises for so long, but um, my favorite Dreamcast game has always been Soul Reaver. Okay. Um, hmm. I I first played it on the PC when it came out on there. It wasn't the best port, but I still loved it. On the Dreamcast, um, uh, it, it was it was just a leap forward, like in terms of graphics, in terms of. Uh, in terms of how the game felt, in terms of how smooth it was, the character models, everything felt great. Mm. And um, coincidentally, bringing it back to current gen, uh, it was actually a f- one of 
the few games I think at the time which had absolutely no loading screens. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, Ooh. that's I did, yeah, the, the, it's a it's a massive it's a massive world and it streams. And it was one of the very early games that had level streaming, and you could just go from one end to the next without any loading. It's not it's not a case of like seeing a vast sort of open space. It couldn't do that. So it was all constrained to, you know, corridors and stuff like that. Mm. But yeah, you were able to go from one end to the next uh, without loading, which is great. Also, just to bridge the two subjects, there is a Soul Reaver reference in Astro as well. Oh, really? uh, it's it's very subtle, but when I spotted it, it was delightful. It's delightful. Okay, I have been telling that, Interesting. Interesting. Um, all right. Well, um, I forgot. Again, I keep doing this all the time. I forgot to ask Jordan in our last episode what, what his fav- favorite Dreamcast game is. And I seem to do this all the time. Um, I know for a fact what it is, though. So um, his favorite Dreamcast game was San Francisco Rush 2049. Nice. Which is a game I've never played. Sounds like you have, Rich. It's good. Yep. Good played one. It back in the day and I've got it on my uh, GDMU now. It's uh, very, nice. very fun. Yeah, it's good. Good stuff. Yeah. Sounds really good. Um, but he's going to be writing about that for the uh, Dreamcast Year 2 because uh, he enjoys it so much. He's one of the backers, so he's chosen that to, to write about for the book. So even though we've not had uh, kind of heard from him specifically about it, if you uh, are getting Dreamcast Year 2, you'll kind of read what his thoughts are on it. Um, but there we go. Thanks very much for that. Uh, moving on, uh, let's take a look at what was going on in the world and the UK specifically back in 2005. I'm really sorry. It is that time again. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna start punning it up in here. So sorry. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, make sure you and only you listen out for how many songs I mention, because there's going to be a quiz at the end. So listen up. Um, get ready, uh, because I'm about to push the button on the song puns. Oh wait, I just did it. Um, I kind of wish that we'd done this a few months back because I would love to have used Wake Me Up When September Ends Here, uh, but I ain't no hollaback girl, so I'll move on. Uh, what's been happening since you've been gone? Well, somebody told me uh, that I'm a bit of a crazy chick, but really I'm just lonely. Uh, maybe it's all of the doctor pressure, sorry, that's a tenuous one at best, uh, to get the song titles to sound like a cohesive sentence. But no worries, hate it or love it, I'll be okay. Uh, it's how we do, after all. Uh, you can do it, Rich and Steve told me. I believe in you. Uh, if, if, if there were any justice, I'll be recognised for these sections on the pod one day, uh, along with the insights that Steve and Rich bring. I mean, we belong together. Uh, hush, I hear you cry. Every day I love you less and less, you say. I hear you, and I'm going to get right, but there's one thing. Uh, against all odds, I'm still talking, I dare you to stop me, uh, but you like it really, don't you? Uh, all right, I'll stop now before I'm locked up. <laughs> Let's get on with the goodies oh, uh, you're you here for. referred to one of those as tenuous in there. They're, they're, they're all, all tenuous. They're all tenuous. But I mean, I counted them. I know how many song puns there were in that section. Uh-huh. Do you want to hazard a guess? Uh, how many song puns? I mean, I started. Nine. I started off do, doing a tally, and then I lo- lost. I, I lost it. Eighty-one. Eighty-one. <laughs> Rich, you said Eighty-one. nine. Did you? Yeah, I was. I was going low. Jeez. <laughs> I'm regretting um, that now, but okay. So we've got nine eighty-one. Uh, Mummy, do you want to go somewhere in between those? <laughs> I'll I'll do an even forty. An even forty. Safe. Oh dear! Uh, it was in fact twenty-six. There were twenty-six oh, song okay. titles in there. <laughs> uh, Steve, so, you're uh, way off. Steve, way off. Way off. I, mean, yeah. <laughs> I like to go big. Uh, yeah, exactly. Very true. Um, sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> I feel like each episode I have to do more and more 
So next episode, uh, yeah, just be prepared because there'll be a, there'll be a lot. <laughs> uh, so all right, moving on. What did happen in 2005? Let's take a look. Um, this year marked the 60th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz. To start on a, a positive note, um, which means 2020 marked the 75th anniversary. Uh, Prince Charles finally married Camilla Parker Bowles and no one cared. Mm. Uh, the 265th Pope, Benedict Sixteenth, was put on the Pope throne after a bunch of cardinals smoked a lot of weed and then opened the window. That's how this white smoke thing works, right? I'd explain a lot. Uh-huh. Um, Is, London the Pope was awarded... Is that the official term? Sorry. Pope throne. It's <laughs> <Just, laughs> really well. <laughs> The Pope Throne. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call it that from now on. Uh, London was awarded the 2012 Olympic Games in this year um, after a long campaign, and the nation said, "Yeah, whatever." Um, a picture leaked of Prince Harry dressed up as a Nazi. Um, mm. Not sure how else to, what else to say about that. That kind of speaks for itself. Um, You've said it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Gender Recognition Act of 2004 came into effect on April 4th, allowing transsexual people to have their reassigned gender legally recognised, which I think is actually a bit of an applause moment. Cause that's, a good that's that's late. Yeah, it's late. Yeah. That feels late. It is quite late. Although there are still countries that are doing that to this day, I guess. So there's still, yeah, we've all got a long way to go, Crazy. basically. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's it was Every a good step, step forward. forward is a good one. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, going into slightly dark territory, because I always do. Uh, on the 7th of July, 2005, the London bombings took place across public transport in the city, killing 52 people and injuring over 700. Um, also in this year, uh, Rosa Parks uh, died on October 24th at the age of 92. Uh, she was an activist who's known for the, Mon- the Montgomery bus boycott, which saw her refuse to move from her seat for a white person on a racially segregated bus. Uh, the fallout from this action helped to propel, helped to propel the civil rights movement forward. Uh, rest in peace, Rosa. What a what a hero. Absolutely. Mm. Um, I've struggled with the next one. Born this year, the, the pickings were pretty slim for 2005. The best I could find was Noah Jupe. I'm shrugging my shoulders. Uh, as an English actor born on January the 25th, he's had roles in the TV series The Night Manager and also A Quiet Place, among others. Noah, idea who that is. Uh, I see what you I did there. I feel duped. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Um, this year also saw uh, TV shows such as the new run of Doctor Who, 8 Out of 10 Cats, Deal or No Deal, Love Island and Springwatch debut in the UK, um, while the US saw Grey's Anatomy, Bones, Supernatural and American Dad air for the very first time. Uh, we saw blockbusters such as Star Wars Episode 3 Revenge of the Sith, uh, Serenity, King Kong and Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire launch this year. Serenity was 2005. Serenity was 2005. Oh my god, I'm old. <laughs> yes, you are. And so am I. Because <laughs> we're the same yeah. age. Supernatural's ending this year, by the way. Oh, really? Wow. It's, so it's, that's been uh, 15 years. It's either it's either got its last episode this week or next week. Wow. So it's quite uh, quite timely then that we bring that yeah. up. So 15 years for that show. That's quite a long time. Yeah. Um, all right, finally, in music, uh, we had big new albums from the likes of Mariah Carey, Arctic Monkeys, The Gorillas, Oasis, The Black Eyed Peas, Madonna, Kate Bush, and more. Uh, the top 10 of 2005. Now, I'm looking at this, and honestly, every year we do this, the top 10 in the UK was atrocious. And this year is no different. Um, so starting at number 10, uh, the, these the biggest songs of the year in the UK. Number 10 was You Raise Me Up by Westlife. Um, mm. Number nine, Push the Button by Sugar Babes. Uh, number eight, Lonely by Akon. 
Uh, number seven, Feel Good Inc. by Gorillaz, which I think is a, that's fair enough. That's a good that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, number six, uh, Ghetto Gospel by Tupac featuring Elton John or or Tupac Tupac as Richard's mum would say, the Tupac <laughs> the Tupac. Um, <laughs> uh, fifth was uh, Axel F by Crazy Frog. Oh god, uh, <laughs> is that yo yo fuck that song? Was that the, was that like the second song? Because there was the Crazy Frog song, right? Or was Axe left the same song. I can't it was remember. the same one, I think. Remember Crazy Frog Racer as well? There was a video game. There, there was, but we should yeah. probably just forget that and leave it to history. <laughs> uh, pretend it never existed. I'm still um, a fan of um, Icon Song with Lonely Island. I don't know if you guys have heard that. Oh, the uh, Lonely Island one. Which was that? What was that one? I, so just, I just had, had sex. sex. That's yes. it, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's yeah, a yeah. great song. Anything by the Lonely Island is song. funny. So God, I love, yeah. I love them. Um, so number four for 2005 was uh, Don't You by the Pussycat Dolls featuring Buster Rhymes. Uh, number three, Bad Day by Daniel Daniel Powter. No idea what happened to him. Uh, number two, uh, Is This the Way to Amarillo by Tony Christie no. featuring Peter Kay. Oh dear. Number one, number one. Wow. No, number one was the even worse song of You're Beautiful by James Blunt. Uh, that's sticking your fingers down your throat kind of song is that... he's kind of <laughs> gone on a different path now hasn't he james blunt he's kind of leaned into the whole everyone thought he's really wet and pathetic and he's basically a, a professional arsehole now yeah if you see social media oh, he? he just basically slags people off and he's just yeah, oh, yeah. But in a funny way it's he like does a in a funny way so it's, yeah yeah it's pretty good <laughs> it's do you funny. think 2005 was like the tail end of like the boy band era or mm. is it just that yeah. we're too old to notice anymore yeah, I th- probably was. I think, mm. I think you're right, actually. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember any particularly big. I mean, I don't follow music, so <laughs> I'm not the best guy to ask. But yeah, that feels about right. Yeah, like Westlife broke up, and then it was just kind of like a big void for ages, and now we've got like Korean boy bands instead to kind of take up that mantle. Go to BTS. Um, yeah. I mean, from what little I know about these Korean boy bands, they seem pretty rad to me. Like, I don't like the music. The fans but... are fantastic. I love the. St- yeah. 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 Cool. All right. Um, well, what about the games for 2005? Uh, that's hit what we're here for, so that's what we're moving on to. Uh, as ever, we'll discuss some games from this year and decide whether they were game changers, just games, or a bit shit. Uh, so this was the year, in fact, that the Xbox 360, Sony PSP, and the Nintendo DS launched in the UK. Uh, so, to te- so to celebrate that, we have a total of 10 games to discuss this time around. Uh, just for your information too, just so you know, the 360 launched here on the 2nd of December, so right at the very end of the year. Um, whilst the 3DS, sorry, not the 3DS, the Nintendo DS launched on March the 11th, and the PlayStation Portable released on September the 1st. So, um, before we get into it properly, I just did want to mention the Xbox 360 launch lineup, um, because mm. it was an interesting one. So it launched right at the end of the year, December 2nd. And just going to run down what it launched with, and if we just kind of, yeah, just kind of comment on on what that what that was like, because I think this is a pretty interesting launch actually. So, the mm-hmm. Xbox 360 in Europe launched with Amped 3, Call of Duty 2, Condemned Criminal Origins, FIFA 06 Road to FIFA World Cup, Gun, uh, all capitalised for some reason, uh, Cameo Elements of Power, Madden NFL 06, 06, uh, NBA Live 06, Need for Speed Most Wanted, Perfect Dark Zero, Peter Jackson's King Kong, uh, Project Gotham Racing 3, Quake 4, Tiger Woods PGA Tour 2006, and Tony Hawk's American Wasteland. 
that's a pretty good lineup i mm. think that's it's all right that, stacked, yeah, yeah. Some, something for everybody in that one there's a lot of sports games i noticed mm. but there usually is i suppose on these these launches but um um w- worth noting that it's probably true of the sports games as well although i don't know but gun was a cross-gen title oh okay yeah. i don't know how many of those other ones were cross-gen as well i have a oh. feeling that king kong I might got, have been a cross yeah, i got king kong on a psp yeah. the day i bought the psp that was my, um, uh, that was my <laughs> day one purchase king kong <laughs> I, the video game i might be misremembering but i'm pretty sure tomb raider tomb raider legend was also a cross-gen title at launch but hmm. i have to I look know. into that one mm. Hmm. I'm not sure. It wasn't on this list. But... Cross-gen, less of a thing then. Uh, yeah. Featuring very heavily in this new generation now, but yeah, less of a thing. Then. Yeah, but um, it was yeah, it was definitely interesting. I mean, yeah, cross-gen, big thing. Lots of those games for sure were were between generations. I think Tony Hawk's was, but the, mm. one of the one of the big things and the first game we're going to go into is um, Cameo Elements of Power, which launched obviously on launch day December second. This was a game that took a good two generations to develop. So although it wasn't a cross-gen, it was an exclusive to the 360. Um, Rare was bought by Microsoft in 2002. Um, and I think Cameo was a game that they were actually developing at the time for the GameCube. Um, and then they moved it to the Xbox when Microsoft bought them and then finally released it on the 360. Um, it's a bit of a an interesting game. Has anybody played Cameo? I... I'm afraid not. No. no. I've played about 15 minutes of it, which is really, really sad because I've bought the game twice. Oh, really? Uh, wow. I, I first bought it for the original 360, and then I had the Xbox One for like a month before I sold it off. And during that time, I bought the Rare Replay Collection, and it was on there. Ah, uh, yeah. And both times, I literally played it for 15 minutes and then shut it off, <laughs> which, is, which is really sad because it's the kind of game that I would like, but... For some reason, it just didn't grab me. Yeah. I mean, I, I the thing I remember most about this game is watching videos over the years of how impressive it looked. I remember seeing real-time shadows and stuff back when that was impressive. But I, I, I don't even know what kind of game this is, to be honest. This one completely passed me by. I was aware of it, but I, I never had any interaction with it. Yeah, I think it's true for, for most people, actually. It's, it's one that people didn't really take to um and it's it's very much similar to a lot of rare's older games so it's a platformer slash action game um and you play cameo who's kind of a fairy who has her powers taken away and uh, she has to slowly get them back and her powers are basically controlling elemental beasts so there's a bunch of different um i can't what the all the names are but there's like you know there's like a fire elemental beast and a water one all these kind of things and they all have different powers so over the course of the game she discovers them again and she gets to take over their forms and it basically gives gives her like an extra power like for instance the ice elemental monster has the ability to grip onto ice walls to climb them um and they have all sorts of unique powers and therefore you can you you can use their unique powers through the different levels to do different things kind of uh, to get past certain areas or to defeat certain enemies so it's quite an interesting an interesting game but so so unfamiliar with this game am i that that doesn't sound anything like what i thought oh it really was. so i might be thinking of a different game entirely <laughs> yeah it's uh, it's definitely an interesting one it was it was a bit of a showcase for the 360 at the time as well i think mm-hmm. because the all of the particle effects that it had on show like huge amounts of enemies on screen at once as well um massive locations it was just yeah it, it was it was a showcase for the 360 and i think it maybe just got overlooked 
because it was at launch and because there were a lot of other games at the time as well. And maybe it just wasn't quite up to Rare's usual standards either. Mm. Maybe that's why. But Could it be described as the knack of its time? <laughs> oh, that's an interesting mm. comparison. Possibly, yeah. That's a... I mean, knack, knack did get a sequel, but... True. You know. Cameo was meant to get a sequel, but never did because it, it just didn't sell well enough to, to warrant one. But Poor Cameo. Poor Cameo indeed. Mm. Um, I mean, it's worth mentioning at the same time, Rare did release two games at launch, and the second one being Perfect Dark Zero, um, which was another game that was meant to release a couple of generations beforehand and <laughs> took forever for them to, to make and eventually got released. That was not a good game. Did anybody play... No. Project Dark Zero. I downloaded it. Dark, perfect Dark Zero. On Xbox, but I've not played it. Um, no, no, don't bother, Rich. Really, it that's was a shame. Okay, like I'm not really a first-person aficionado, but it was okay. It just wasn't mm. like 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 if if you had to choose between that and Halo Three, you're always going to choose Halo Three. Sure. Just 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 not a lot to bring you back after you've played through it once. Hmm. I found that difficult to get into. I don't think I got very far. I think I got maybe an hour or two into it. And I found the voice acting in the story was just a bit all over the place and not great. And the gunplay was fine, but it was, I don't know, it, it felt, I can't I can't even picture it. It, it felt too, it, it, considering you are a console launch and you were expecting amazing new experiences, it felt like you were going back to old school gaming yeah and on yeah. in your you know in your first day with a new console you don't want to be experiencing something you've just experienced mm. last gen you know you want something no. fresh and new and that wasn't that wasn't it at all i don't think it's also it while it's not a, an awful it's not offensively bad it is very much in the shadow of the first um perfect dark which was basically goldeneye mm. um so people absolutely have a ravenous adoration for the first one and then this one came out and everyone just kind of went oh what's this this isn't like that at all and you know i think it was very disappointing for a lot of people which is a shame because you know as mamoud said it's it's not it's not awful mm. as such it's just a bit a bit of a misfire really i think okay I, I think the i think the problem with a lot of um early rare games uh and this this applies to stuff they did on the original Xbox as well, is that they have really, really good ideas, and they have really, really fun games, but it never feels like they develop the idea fully. There always seems to be something missing. Like, if if you play Conker's Fur Day, Bad Fur Day, or you play stuff as a zombie, um, yeah, they're fun games, but it always feels like something's missing to take it to the next level. And mm -hmm. every generation they've come forward, you see that more and more and more because we were willing to forgive that in the early days of 3D, but it's mm. just, you just forgive it less and less as time goes along. I think that's, that's very true, uh, all the way up to Sea of Thieves, which I think is a brilliant idea, uh, but that it completely lacks sub substance. Like There's barely anything to that game, really, except sailing ships, which is great, but it's, al yeah. it's almost as though they get excited by an idea and then they rush to make it instead of give giving it time to, you know, properly bake into something with substance. Yeah. I mean, there's a big community of people who play Sea of Thieves who probably argue with you on that point. Um, but, I mean, having played it myself, I probably agree with you more because I... They had like I love I love Sea of Thieves. I've had a great time with mm -hmm. it, but like you 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 can't argue that that game is 
uh, extremely shallow. Right. It is about sailing around with your friends and having fun, and that's it. Like there's nothing else to it. I think um, I think it's the same kind of thing with um, I don't know if you've heard of this game, Star Trek Bridge Crew. Mm. Uh, oh yes. The VR game. It, it's the same kind of thing where like if you have a group of friends that you're playing with, it's a hell of a lot of fun. But if you're playing it alone, it's just not. It's just not a great experience. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there's been a big rise recently of so you know g- gaming as a social experience, and so stuff like Sea of Thieves are very much involved in that. But I do hope that they go back to something a bit more that we recognise rare for, like this their new games Everwild, and that looks very rare, like yeah. the fact that it's kind of yeah. uh, set in a kind of a fantasy, you know, a fantasy world, and a, a, yeah. So I'm I'm hoping they go back to what they're more well known for. Um, as long as it's not going back to the days of Connect Sports or something like that, that would be <laughs> that would be nice. Um, <laughs> Connect Sports was okay; like it, it was well, fun for the time. But it's not really a patch on Wii Sports, to be fair. Oh no, not not no. at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, let's take these two together then, I guess. So, Cameo and Perfect Dark, uh, Perfect Dark Zero. Let's just mm-hmm. say, let's take them together. Do we think they're game changers? Do we think they're just games? Do we think they're shit? What, what are we going to say, Mamu? Let's start with you. Uh, if you have nothing else to play, Cameo's fine. Uh, Perfect Dark. There's so much. There's so much you can play. Just, just, just don't bother. Like Cameo's okay. Like if if you want to go back and play it, go do go for it. So you say a game then? It's it's a game. Yeah, it's a game. Like it's yeah. it's it's average. Like it's it's fine for a Saturday afternoon, but it's not a ten hours stint. No. Fair enough. Rich, what about you? Um, for Cameo, I just have to say a game, really. Like I've always said before, if I've not played it, I can't really be harsh on it. But um, same probably for Perfect Dark as well. I mean, we could obviously maybe say better things about the N64 one, but mm-hmm. as for Zero, I'd say a game. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Uh, Steve, what about you? I agree with the esteemed gentleman before me. Fair enough. Uh, a game it is or games they are um since there's two of them um so there we go uh those are two of the launch titles we're going to discuss two more xbox launch titles and i'm just going to go through them now so we get them out of the way and can go on to the other games so the next xbox launch title which actually launched on pc before it so on pc it launched october 25th and on the 360 it launched on december 2nd and that is call of duty 2 now, mm. correct me if I'm wrong. This is the first time a Call of Duty game launched on a console. Is that right? I think the first Call of Duty um, was PC only. No, I, I believe, so. believe so. So there was a exclusive Call of Duty game that was on console, but that was only on console. Right. So that was built for. I think it was on PS2. Yeah. This was the first time a f- like full fat, unabridged, if you like, Call of Duty game came to a console. Yes cool um do we have any thoughts on call of duty 2 anybody played it to death anybody not like it what are we thinking uh i mainly play single player campaigns in call of duty and for two uh i found that the single player campaign was a bit lacking compared to the first one Mm because the first one had this really really tight story and campaign and the second one it just kind of felt like they were like well it wouldn't be cool if we did this and then you you started the first level in the snowy mountain and wouldn't it be cool if he did this and blah blah but it's like it's it's just it just didn't have anything really really cool like the sniper like the sniper level from the first game or 
uh, or the um, what was it the uh, the boat level that the, that the first game started with? This wasn't really anything cool like that. Um, mm-hmm. I do remember um, the huge controversy about the uh, the airport level at the time. I don't know if you guys remember that. The whole thing where like uh, where a bunch of Russian people were attacking people at the airport, shooting them up, and um, and they started little by saying remember the no Russians and and there was this huge controversy about it because people were like oh you're playing a terrorist killing innocent people. Was this was this um, Call of Duty two or was this modern is it modern warfare that we're thinking that of? Was no, modern warfare no, 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 it's Call of Duty two. Because uh, Call of Duty two was a World War two set. No, 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 no. It, it was set in modern day. And then, I think that might modern be modern warfare too. Yeah. Oh, oh god, I'm thinking modern <laughs> warfare too. <laughs> Do you know what? Naming naming conventions for these games mm-hmm. are confusing. They really are. Oh, yeah. God. So, yeah. yep. I got so confused. Oh god. Yeah. No, that's 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 fair. No, Call of Duty Two was like um, so it was the it was World War Two and um, was it was it I can't put the name of the character was it began with a V Russian character Vasily something like that was the main sure. character. Yeah, I don't remember. But yeah, so it was. I mean, you played multiple. Yeah, that's main characters in this game. Sure. Um, it's funny actually because up until we realised that, Mahmoud, you were kind of spot on. Like, Call of Duty Two on the 360 was pretty forgettable and and not that special, but <laughs> it, <laughs> but it was uh, it was highly high. It was highly regarded because it was a lot of people's first time playing a game like that mm-hmm. on a console. So a lot of pe- a lot of people played it. It is vastly inferior to the first to the first one, but it is a lot of people's favourite one for that re- for that re- reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Rich, is this one that you've that you've played? I honestly don't remember now if I was playing or if I ever played the World War Two Call of Duties. I'm pretty sure I was still doing some Medal of Honor around this time. I'm absolutely. Okay. I mean, they kind of at the time now they kind of blend blend into one another. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? They were all World War Two shooters yeah. around that time. Like yeah. it was just that was all they were. Um, I, I'm positive I did. I'm absolutely positive I played Call of Duty, whether it was one or two. Um, right. But I mean, I've always liked the pace of these games versus most like modern FPSs. Like the you know, the whole reloading is more of a sense of urgency about it because the guns are much more you know primitive to pair, you know compared to automatic weapons and. Mm-hmm. Always a lot more stricter in terms of death as well. Like, was it, were you bleeding out in these games now, or was it more along the lines of what we know Call of Duty now, where this health replenishes and that kind of stuff? Good question. Actually, I don't. I don't know. I want to say it was regenerating health, yeah. but that might not have been until Modern Warfare. Yeah, because mm. I was only playing. Um, uh, what was it now? Um, Battlefield One the other day, and it kind of just was jarring playing that again, and just. In terms of your health um, depleting, it just kind of freaked me out, and I've I've come to I've become too comfortable with um, how FPSs are nowadays. So these World War Two mm. ones stress me out. Um, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm pretty sure I played it. I don't think it was just Medal of Honor. I I honestly uh, now that I'm remembering which one it was, <laughs> uh, I actually I actually never played Call of Duty Two. I did play Call of Duty Three. Um, which was okay. It was not special, but um, but I always found myself comparing those games to uh, Medal of Honor Frontline, mm-hmm. and especially mm. that uh, that starting Normandy level, which no, uh, which is an absolute classic in gaming. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and, oh yeah. 
and you know it's it should it should be one of the things that should be remade like like they always try and remake that level in um in world war ii games and they never manage it for some reason mm. The late the Call of Duty World War Two that came out what two years ago had the Normandy level as the o- opening and somehow they managed to screw that up. It was terrible. It was rubbish. It was yeah. awful. I played I played that game and that put me off wanting to play any more of it. I got I got to close to the end of that level and I was like, no, no, this isn't great at all. So I just stopped playing it. Um, yeah, I so for me, we got um, Call of Duty two, and this was I think where was I at the time. I can't remember but so me and my partner played it and i remember quite distinctly that as soon as my partner got hold of it he played the entire thing and i watched him play the entire thing so i then never had the impetus to go and play it myself but i do remember there was a tank level where you were fighting you were actually fighting a tank i think and it mm-hmm. seemed like the hardest thing ever like i, I just remember that just re- repeating that level over and over and over and over again um <laughs> that was difficult but yeah sounds about right so but i but it, it was great and obviously that's i think that game got my partner into the call of duty games <laughs> but I, but didn't get me into them because i didn't play enough of it to actually uh get into the games but um yeah it's it's certainly like you said steve it's it's a game although it's maybe they're not not the best of the call of duty games it's certainly the one that a lot of people remember quite fondly yeah and it was probably their yeah. first one so bearing that in mind um what are we saying steve would you say this is a game changer um i think it would probably if someone called this a game changer i wouldn't fight them Mm. um i think that would be a fair thing to say but i personally would only say it was a game okay all right uh what about you um i just i just feel sad thinking about all the call of duties and how they kind of just blend into each other now Mm -hmm. like the world war ii and the modern day ones like like the last one that I actually liked was um, Advanced Warfare, and I haven't really liked anyone after that. So, uh, not really now. No, are we no. saying shit then? Or... <laughs> no, no, I wouldn't say shit. Just you know, I mean, if you want to go back and play it, there's just not a lot there. Okay, mm-hmm. makes sense. Um, Rich, what about yourself? I'd probably lean towards maybe a strong game, not a game changer, because I think in many ways that series and that genre has been defined by what came after world war ii for better mm-hmm. or worse um yeah. but you kind of don't even think about them being world war ii games anymore you had to be reminded by the recent world war ii game so <laughs> i would say i'd say a strong game excellent and uh, yeah i think i'm going to agree uh it's it, it's one of those games that kind of it, it made first person shooters popular on consoles which they hadn't really been to that point to, the, to that degree mm. um so i yeah for sure i'd say it was a, it's, a, it's a game just a, a quite strong game um okay last of the um xbox 360 launch titles that we're going to discuss and this one is well it has a bit of a, a dreamcast legacy to it uh it is developed by bizarre creations who of course developed metropolis street racer and this is project gotham racing 3 uh, for the 360, which also launched on December 2nd. Did anybody else play this? Was it just me, or has anybody else got experience with Project Gotham Racing 3? Uh, not 3, no. I remember the first one, but mm-hmm. otherwise I've spent more time with either um, MSR or um, Forza. So, <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind Fair of like, enough. it was kind of the piggy in the middle of that whole brand, really, wasn't it? I consider it part of the same thing. I might be wrong, but... 
it was it kind of came just it was i think forza was at, almost at the same time as project gotham but project oh, gotham was yeah. popular before forza was i think forza came into its own once project gotham ended mm. i believe yeah I don't steve know. did you play yeah. no i i remember kudos being a thing and that's <laughs> that's all i got for you Sorry. all right uh my mood <laughs> Uh, I never played it, but I had friends who played it, and I remember reading about it at the time, and uh, one of the things that a lot of reviewers talked about was, um, well, two of the things. One thing, um, a lot of racing games at the time had a problem with rubber banding, Mm -hmm. which is, uh, which if people don't know the term, um, is uh, if you're racing and you're in first place, um, and you're you're making really good time the person in second place will always somehow catch up to you and you'll never actually leave them behind on the track so they'll kind Mm. of just rub a band to where you are no matter how far away from them you get or how fast you go uh in this game um what i read about was that the ai would actually get better with each race as you kept playing and they would actually try and counteract um your racing line and try and get in the way of your car and make it harder and harder for you to win each race so i did find that interesting but it just wasn't my type of game i was more into um i don't know if you guys remember um split second which came out on the Mm, yeah yeah oh yeah uh that that was my game like uh like bernard 3 was my game on the ps2 and split second was my game on the 360 so yeah. that was my racing game. Uh, I wasn't really into Project Gotham that much. Yeah, that's fair. I think um, Project Gotham was kind of, it straddled a bit between simulation and arcade. So it wasn't maybe as arcade hmm. as something like Burnout or Split Second was, but it certainly wasn't as simulation based either as something like Forza uh, or Gran Turismo. Um, but yeah, it had the kudos system, as Steve pointed out, which is something that came across from uh, Metropolis Street Racer. Um, it had, although I don't think it was called kudos in this now i'm gonna have to look it up um but it's uh it it was something along those lines but it also um lent very heavily into the online aspect because Mm. the 360 was there so you had gotham tv Mm. where you could tune into people's races and watch them like a spectator uh which was quite cool like we we had that with mario kart later obviously had mario kart like mk tv where you could tune in and watch people's races on the wii u uh and uh also uh, the one of, i can't remember which one i think it was project gotham racing 2 introduced us to um geometry wars and project gotham racing 3 brought, oh, God, yeah. Uh, yeah they did a remaster which is geometry wars retro evolved so you got to walk around your little garage in the game and there was like an arcade cabinet in the corner and you could go and play uh geometry wars which then became its own thing and uh, mm, yeah. people really like that game i think it's, it's a very good I, i've spent hours upon hours upon hours playing geometry wars games oh, so yeah. they're really fun they are brilliant and i always forget that the origin was in another game entirely yeah which is quite interesting so uh i spent a month just playing the demo of geometry wars <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, it, it was one of the first arcade games for the 360 as well, because we had you had Xbox Live Arcade, uh, which came with the 360, and uh, yeah, uh, Geometry Wars was one of the first ones that you could download for it, which was quite cool. So, yeah. so there's that. There's that. I guess it, it was a fun game. I enjoyed it. I like racing games, and and the third one, it, it was it was definitely it, it built on all the games that came before it. I think four arguably was probably the best because it had the bikes and stuff as well. But three was great. It, it was a great. It was a great game, and uh, it was a great launch game. And I definitely remember playing a lot of that at the time. Um, mm. 
but thinking about it, I guess you know it it didn't it didn't do anything particularly brand new, didn't do anything groundbreaking. So I'd definitely say it's just a game for me. Um, I'm gonna guess the three of you, considering you maybe haven't played it or played much of it, would you agree? Just just a bit of a game. Yeah, I'd say a game. Um, I'm just the. Um, oh, sorry. Uh, please go. No, no, no. Go on. Um, I'm just really sad that Microsoft didn't um, grab Bizarre Studios when they had the chance, and actually, mm-hmm. I think it went to Activision, did it, or was VA? Uh, it was Activision, and they made the game Blur, which yeah. was an incredibly oh. good racing game, absolutely amazing, but it sold poorly, and then it, yeah. they disbanded yeah. after that, unfortunately. Yeah. It pretty, it pretty much killed them that, didn't it? Which yeah. is a real shame. It did, and there's even there's a trailer out there on YouTube for Blur Two, uh, which shows what the next game would have been like and it looks phenomenal and i'm really sad that we never got it but yeah yeah, yeah very sad that microsoft didn't buy them yeah. um just to just to bring up that rubber banding issue um it's an interesting one that with ra- racing games because i hate i hate that it sucks when you're in first and the ai is always on your back even if you've worked really hard <laughs> but then you play racing games without the rubber banding and like such as the crew 2 is one that i've played recently that does not have that and when you when you make a mistake and you end up really far behind it sucks because <laughs> they're just gone forever you can never catch like you can never catch never catch them mm. so it's an interesting uh, mechanic that I, I i know is much maligned but yeah i have been in situations where i have missed it before mm. okay um are you both agreeing then for for game for this one sorry yes game yeah, yeah. i mean uh I mean, for people into racing games, uh, from what I've heard of it, I definitely recommend it. And um, and obviously, you know, it's um, bizarre creations were really good at what they did. They knew racing games, so if you want to play a good racing game, yeah, go ahead. Awesome. Uh, all right. Well, we're going to move on to one that I'm pretty sure that two of you are going to have a lot to say uh, about this particular game. Um, I think me and Rich may be just kind of sitting here for about 10 minutes as you discuss it. <laughs> that game... It's me with most games, don't uh, worry about it. That's true. Before I'll, I'll speak to you, Rich, before I let the other two uh, crack on with sure. it. But um, this game is Metal Gear Solid 3, uh, launched on the PS2 on March the 4th uh, here in the UK. Uh, Rich, have you played this game? Mm-mm. Nope. No, no, okay. I've played a very minimal amount of it. I remember the opening of it, and I remember the Snake Eater theme tune. That I know, um, and that's fantastic. Yeah, but that's about it. climbing up the ladder, uh, infinite ladder. Well, it was a very long ladder. Listening to the Snake Eater theme tune, which is a great theme tune. I bought I bought the soundtrack for this game on CD as well. Um, I enjoyed it uh, that much. Speaking speaking of the Snake Eater theme tune, that was what I wanted to what I wanted to share on the podcast. Today. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So I actually looked up the lyrics for um, for the team tune, and I actually just wanted to read uh, the lines in the chorus because uh, these are legendary. I-, I think they're just translated directly from Japanese. I can't tell. Okay. All right. So I'm just going to read them verbatim. Okay. I'm still in a dream, snake eater. Someday you go through the rain. Someday you feed on the tree frog. It's ordeal, the trial to survive. For the day we see new light, I give my life, not for honor, but for you, Snake Eater. In my time, there'll be no one else. Crime, it's the way I fly to you, Snake Eater. I'm still in a dream, Snake Eater. <laughs> so odd. So odd. Makes little sense. It's, it's, I mean, it's profound, no, really. I'm, I'm tearing up. <laughs> I mean, it's when profound. when you hear it, it sounds like a James Bond song as well, which is yeah, amazing. It does. It does. Those lyrics are ridiculous, but that performance 
uh, is is brilliant mm-hmm. and it's a fantastic song it is it is mm-hmm. i mean one thing i'll point out before i give the floor to you to you steve and you mahmood who can talk about this game forever mm. um is the the cd that i mentioned that i bought actually had like game content on it i don't know mm. if you remember this steve but you bought the cd and it had like some kind of code on it for exclusive camouflage for the game so, oh did it yeah so you'd have the cd and you'd, you'd put like i think it was a code or something into the game uh like in the, in the options menu and you get this exclusive camouflage that you could only get hmm. by owning the soundtrack, which was something I don't think I've seen any other game do. No, which is quite cool. Um, but that's that's my that's my knowledge of the game. Really, I did enjoy what I played of it, and I really do want to go back to it because it seems very good. Stephen Mahmood, over to you. Yeah. Um, so Mahmood, you've you've played this game. I have. I've uh, I finished it. It was ages ago, but um, but I I really really enjoyed it. Um, so obviously it was a follow-up from Metal Gear Solid 2, and I think, um, in my opinion, it is the best of the series uh, yeah. for a couple of reasons. First off, um, it fixes a lot of the issues that Metal Gear Solid 2 had. Uh, for one thing, you're playing so you're playing a Snake or a version of Snake called Naked Snake, and you're actually playing the version that becomes Big Boss in mm-hmm. uh, that. Um, that uh, bit of trivia, the original, you know, Solid Snake from Metal Gear Solid and Metal Gear Solid 4 and Metal Gear Solid 2 is cloned from. Uh, you, and um, th- there's a lot of good things about this game, like there's the camouflage system which came back in Metal Gear Solid 4, there's the online mode, uh, which also came back in Metal Gear Solid 4, but at the same time, um, it also it also brings forward a lot of the uh, the bad habits that Hideo Kojima had uh, and gives you kind of a preview of the stuff that he would do in Metal Gear Solid 4, like the really bad writing, the overly long cutscenes. Um, so, so this game had a re-release on the PS2 called Subsistence, which actually came with uh, with a separate DVD that just had the cutscenes made into a movie. And that movie was three and a half hours, right? So back when Metal Gear Solid 4 first came out, I actually didn't have a PS3, but I wanted to know the story. So I actually downloaded all of the all the cutscenes from that movie. Those cutscenes totaled 13 and a half hours. What? For Metal Gear Solid 4, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's, so, that's nuts. So so it gives it gives you kind of the preview of um of a lot of the bad habits that Hideo Kojima would have in his later games. But at the time, um it it is the best Metal Gear Solid game because it's a standalone game. It gives an introduction to a lot of the characters. Uh the technology on display was amazing. I haven't seen that in a lot of games these days. Um uh, f- first off, there there was uh, you could actually wear different um, different uniforms, which would allow you to camouflage in the environment, and um, and you'd have a percentage in the corner which would tell you how camouflaged you are and how much the enemy can see you. Each blade of grass, each blade of grass on the ground would move as you were crawling through it, and you could actually see them move. And uh, and in the follow-up game, subsistence. You could actually play the whole game in first person, which was brought back for Metal Gear Solid 4. Uh, you could, you actually had to forage for food. You had to kill snakes and become a snake eater, as it were. 
and you could also kill crocodiles and eat them. Uh, you could camouflage yourself in mud. The boss battles were really cool. Uh, yeah, it's it's a fantastic game. Um, you can actually... I, I think you can still play it on the Xbox One. I don't think mm-hmm. you can play it on the PS4 or PS5. Because I think the PS3 was the last time... PS3 and C360 was the last time it was released. That's right, yeah. 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 The only way I can play this game is on my Vita, which is fine, but I would I would love to get a version of it. I mean, I suppose I could get it on the Xbox because I have an Xbox sad edition, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I absolutely adore this game. It is easily the best one in that sort of, in, in that trilogy. The trilogy that Kojima refers to as Gene, Meme, and Scene. This being Scene, which sounds like pretentious wanky bollocks, and that's because it is. <laughs> but I absolutely love it. And. After MGS2, which I loved as well, but it was a bit sort of confusing and convoluted and twisty, this kind of takes it right back to basics. And it's set in the 60s, and it is about the Cold War, and it's got that fun, like, revisionist history stuff going on where, like, uh, the US pulling their missiles out of Turkey was all actually a ruse, and what they were really doing was handing over this Russian scientist called Sokolov so that the Russians could build a a new kind of tank. I wonder what kind of tank that could be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the Metal Gear. It's the Metal Gear. They're yeah. going to build that. Um, and you're just like this secret agent, big boss, crawling through the jungle, trying to subvert these plans, and it's just brilliant. I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't personally say that the writing is bad. I absolutely love the writing in this game. Um, that said, it does do that usual MGS thing where. Uh, it's super serious, but then there's a lot of humor injected in there as well. A lot of really weird, really daft humor. Um, Mahmoud mentioned the bosses. They're all awesome. There is a boss who is uh, covered in or made up entirely of bees. I'm not sure. Okay. But um, you fight him. He's a giant bee man made of bees. The pain. And he's called, and ha- yeah, and he's called the pain. And, and he describes his life to you, which is, you know, painful because he's, because he's bees. Uh, he creates Tommy guns made of bees that yeah. shoot bees at you. They shoot bees out of his mouth as well. Like in some he does not. He's sadly he does not bark and shoot bees from his mouth. But um, but like it's played straight, and you're not supposed like as a player you don't know if you're supposed to find that funny or not. It's not. It's not clear. So, and it's and it's fucking brilliant. So the boss fight is is actually a lot of fun. So he sends bees to to murder you, and the way you escape from them is by diving underwater and mm-hmm. sneaking around him so that you can either shoot him from the back or throw grenades at him, and mm-hmm. you just kind of whittle his health down until he dies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a there's a cut, and then when he dies, he explodes. All the bosses yeah. in this in the, in this game explode when they die. Okay. Um, <laughs> it is not explained. Very powerful. There is a cut scene. Yeah, there is a cutscene earlier on where he attacks some guys with bees, and there's a young revolver o- ocelot in this game, and he mm. protects himself from the swarm of bees by twirling guns around, and killing, killing, <laughs> killing the bees with yeah. his twir- twirling guns. It's okay. it's absurd, but it's so good. And uh, the sort of survival mechanics as well. You, as um, as we said earlier, you have to eat food to survive. Um, and you, whenever you eat food for the first time, Snake uh, grades it. So he's either like, or he says, very tasty. And they have like different benefits. Um, you've got to bandage yourself. You've got to cauterize your gunshot wounds with cigars. 
um, you've got a stamina meter, and if your stamina mm. gets too low, you get very hungry, and the enemies can hear your stomach rumbling. <laughs> uh, you can catch a cold, and you have to take medicine. Um, Rich, you should play this game, man. You should play this game. Oh, one one fun thing about it is that one of the boss battles is is with this sniper called the End, and the oh, whole yeah. idea of the boss battle is that you have to camouflage yourself really well to get through the environment and then find a sniper position, and then shoot him, or use a sniper rifle to find and shoot him. Um, but coincidentally, there's also another way to beat him. Um, if you set the PS2's internal clock forward by a few years. The boss will die of old age. <laughs> so cool. if you so you so he's like an ultimate sniper and he's like, I'm gonna fight you, Snake and it's like a sniper off. Uh, and it is a really long fight and you yeah. move around the forest. Um but yeah, if you save your game there, stop playing it for a year, come back, he's dead. He died he died of old age. Yeah. Because he's because he's really old. Because he's really old, yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's it's and then and you can tranquilize and eat his pet parrot, which yeah, okay. that's, that's weird. Yeah, also, um, there's a weird... So later on, you're in a mountain and there's vultures. And uh, when you kill soldiers, the vultures come down and start eating the bodies. And you can try, you can kill the vultures and eat them as well. And there's this yeah. weird implication that you've accidentally consumed human flesh. Like, you speak to the medic on the radio and she's like, you ate those vultures. Those vultures ate people, which means... <gasps> It's, it's bizarre it's uh, it's but it's it's fantastic it's still one of my most fav- favorite games ever it's great mm. sounds uh, like I, you need to get it on the xbox and you rich. yes seriously I'm i did also this. like that um oh. that you that this is the game where you actually find out also how snake becomes big boss he actually takes mm-hmm. the title from the former big boss who uh, was a mercenary that was disavowed by the United States government, and um, coincidentally, this game is also the prequel to Metal Gear Solid Five. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff in Five that makes a lot more sense if you've played Three, yeah. because okay. you're the same character. So, yeah. so like in Two, you played Raiden, which annoyed a lot of pe- people. They wanted to make this a prequel, but they wanted you to be able to play a snake. So the way they got around that was making you Big Boss, who as we said, is who Snake was cloned from. So he's basically Snake. Mm-hmm. And yeah, throughout this game, you, you, it is it is the origin story of Big Boss, basically. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think the story is fantastic and really well done. I'm not going to spoil it here, even though I really want to, because there are some fantastic parts of this game. And the ending in particular is is incredibly strong. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it sets up why Big Boss... Because he is the bad guy uh, in the original... Me- me- um, Metal Gear games, and you learn why he becomes the bad guy. Yeah. Although the 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 theme of this game is that like soldiers will continue fighting regardless of like what changes in the world around them. So the point this game is trying to make is that Big Boss is the bad guy, but really through these events of this game, you learn that he's not actually the bad guy. Okay. He's just a soldier doing what soldiers do, uh, and it's really really good. How does it? Oh, one, how does this game? Stand? One thing you. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to uh, ask one thing. You... Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> please go on. You go on. You go first. Please. 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 Uh, no, I, I was just going to say um, one thing that, that should be said about this game is that it is very standalone. You don't need to play the other Metal Gear games to enjoy this game. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want to do that, it is best to just think of it as a fun 80s action flick because that mm-hmm. is what it is. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. 
for sure. That actually answered my question, so that's perfect. Thank you. I actually was going to ask, <laughs> how does this work as a standalone? So that's fantastic. Thank yes. You. <laughs> it de- yeah, you you would definitely enjoy this. Uh, playing on your own. That little experience that you that you two just had there, that's 2020 just in a nut, in a nut, in a nut, a nutshell for well, me. Uh, I don't know about you guys. But HD 1 and every... 2. HD 2 and 3 are 749 currently on the Xbox store. There you go. Bundle. Go for it. HD collection, so... Excellent. Go for it. Yeah, definitely go for it. Um, all right. Based on on that, and we could talk about this game forever. It sounds like, but based on that, are we saying are we saying this is a game, game changer? changer? I mean, game I knew changer. that was coming from you, Steve. Obviously, <laughs> it was never going to be anything. But um, Mahmoud, what about you? Uh, honestly, if you want to go for game changer, it's probably Metal Gear Solid Two, but it is the stronger game. Okay. So we're saying game changer for it as well, then. Yeah. Up there with it. Okay. Um, Rich, I know you've not played it. I mean, it, it sounds like you're going to have to now. Yeah, but... I, I guess I just have to say a strong game because I want to play strong. it, having never played it. So it's doing something right. So strong yeah. game, strong game, strong game. Um, I, I feel like I can't take this away from you guys because if I said game, then it wouldn't be a game changer, and I, I feel like that would be wrong. So I'm going to say game changer as well because I, I, I think yeah. it's it's uh, it's it's very good, and I did enjoy what I played of it. So. But you'd get a lot of angry Metal Gear fans if you didn't say it. Very true. <laughs> Uh, myself included. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, Rich, just I'm excited. I'm excited for you to play it, but just like bring pop, bring popcorn, get comfortable. Like long cutscenes. There scenes. are cutscenes. Yeah. There are cutscenes in this game. That's what bothered me with the Yakuza, so I'm worried now. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yakuza's worse. That, uh, that's good. all I can say. That's good. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, before we move on to the next game, just wanted to mention briefly that we did we did get a second Metal Gear Solid game this year. Uh, well, Metal Gear game, sorry, which was Metal Gear Acid, which released on September first for the PSP. I liked that. I really liked that game. That was a that was an interesting take on Metal Gear. Did anybody else play Metal Gear Acid? Mm-mm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, know you, yeah. I I feel like I if I went back and played this now, I would have an appreciation for it. I did not at the time. Mm-hmm. I I. I liked Acid 2. Yes. I did not like the first Acid. Uh, I didn't get on with it well at all. I think it's just because I wanted to play it like an MGS game and I couldn't and I found that frustrating, which is a shame because it's very dismissive of me. Um, I just didn't have an appreciation for that style of gameplay then. Sure. It was was an interesting way of doing it though. So that it's based on cards. So it's Mm -hmm. like, so you have a, a hand of cards as such and you had to, it's like a, what would you call it? It's like an isometric, um, turn-based stealth game essentially so you have to uh you take a turn and you you kind of use one of your cards to do an action or something like that and you move and then it's your your turns up the enemy's turn happens so like the guards come out and look for you and do their thing and so it and it goes on like that and it's it's a very clever way of getting a game like metal gear onto a portable format i think before they're able to do things like peace walker and and metal gear um portable ops but it, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it, and I, I I'm in agreement that two was better, uh, but I quite enjoyed the first Metal Gear Acid. Thought it was interesting. All right, moving on then. Next game is a PC game. Uh, we speak about these from time to time on the podcast. Um, this is uh, Civilization Four, and that released on November fourth uh, of two thousand and five. Rich, I saw you smirk. Come on, have you played this one? I haven't one? played this genre, let alone this game. So, um, <laughs> Well, tell a lie, I've played a bit of Jurassic World um, and a bit of uh, 
theme park and that like but I've, yeah real time strategy stuff I just nah nah sorry no. not for me I mean, it's technically not an RTS. Uh, I think they—I can't remember what they're called now, but they—they they really? have a, they, it's their own little thing. Yeah, it's not technically real time. I'd say it's um, isometric, and I just yeah, I just write it off. I would say <laughs> it is—it is not real time at all. It is no. very turn-based. Okay, yes, fair enough. It's turn, yeah, it's turn-based. Fair enough. So hmm. yeah, um, um, Mahmoud, have you played this one? I have not played this one. I know what it is. Like I've heard about it for years and years. Like. Because, but but I've never really been into those games. Like the only thing I've really heard about it was that, um, and apparently Civilization players will will confirm this is that Gandhi is the most bloodthirsty <laughs> politician in that game because every time uh, he makes a suggestion, it's just bomb everyone. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, that's that's pretty much the only thing I know about it. <laughs> It's it's an interesting game. So it's it's called a four X game. That's what they're called. So it's the and the I'm trying to remember what that stands for now. Oh. It's like an empire building game. Four X is an abbreviation of explore, expand, exploit, and exterminate. So it's a turn based four X game. It has its own little genre. Um, Steve, I I know for sure you played this because mm-hmm. both me and you played this together. Um, That's true. A few times. What yes. are your thoughts on this particular game? It's 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 great um we moved into a flat together in salford with mm-hmm. our third friend and then we networked our computers and we played the shit out of this game mm-hmm. uh and it was it was a lot of fun really really complicated it's it's one of those games where it feels like there is no ceiling to how in depth you want to get with it like you can play it at a fairly surface level and have and, and have a good time but if you want to and this is true of all the civ games if you really want to you can get right in there and you can get really deep and dirty with like micromanaging everything and playing different mechanics off of each other to like min max the outcomes of things it, it, it's the scope of these games is 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 unmatched i think it is it is insane um uh, so it can sometimes be very intimidating, and my experience with Civ games are that I have a really good time up until the point where things get so complicated that I'm just overwhelmed by it, and then mm. I don't finish the game. Mm. Uh, I don't know that I've ever won a game of Civ because I just get too sort of you know overwhelmed by it. But that run up, that sort of you know six seven hours run up, is is just really good, really really good fun. That's the thing. They are inc- like one game of civilized one game in Civilization Four can take you ten, twelve hours mm-hmm. to complete. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I mean, they can take a lot longer than that. Like yeah. you, you, you can go for a very long time with this game. Like if you're like barreling down and you want to finish it a specific way, yes, it can take sort of ten, twelve hours for one map. Um, but if you wanted to, you could have a game running for hundreds of hours. Mm-hmm. Like there could just be no end to this thing. Yeah, it's it's a huge game, and it's so it's the kind of the last game before they kind of changed a lot of things about Civilization. So in five, they changed it to like hexes instead of uh, mm-hmm. I think it, I can't remember what it was before that. It was like squares or something, wasn't it? Um, yeah, rather than hexes. So it's it was kind of like the last of the old school Civilization games, but it was it was Civilization kind of honed to its to its best so a lot of people like two and three and but they're very old games so they look not great um in modern days civilization four had nice graphics it had kind of made it so that it was 
accessible for new people but also had loads and loads of depth so that you could get into it you know you could really get into it and like you say have a hundred odd hour game and it retained a lot of the features like being able to play um by email which was a very (laughs) very odd so you could take a turn and then you could email your turn to somebody else and it would kind of populate in their game and then it's almost like chess so you'd be able Mm -hmm. to play backwards and forwards like one turn at a time obviously this it, it, this had proper online integrated into it so you could just play all together in the same uh, server which is what me and steven our friend did and it's just I, it's difficult to describe this game really isn't it? it it has a lot of a lot of everything you know you're having to um you start off as like a like a stone age kind of uh barbarian almost and you have to found the first city and then you have to start sending farmers out to farm the land and create mines and bring in different um resources to kind of build your city up and then you create new units like you create scouts to go and scout around to find new places and you you, you send settlers out to create new cities and you start coming and get coming up against other civilizations within your map and it starts to become a game of diplomacy and war and mm-hmm. building mm-hmm. building your army up and it's uh, the the amount of different ways that you can play the game and you know it's it's incredible it's just you, you could go down the completely the diplomacy route and try and be friendly with everybody you meet or you can just build your army up and go and destroy everything and everybody uh yeah. it's it's crazy it's a you crazy can, big game you can have like a cultural yeah. victory by being the dominant culture yeah <laughs> you can have a religious one by spreading your religion across the whole world which i think they introduced in this game i think religion yeah. is new um and seeing seeing the world change from as you say stone age all the way up to the modern world like really gradually as mm-hmm. the game goes forward to the point where sometimes you would have like roman spearmen fighting tanks which was kind of funny yeah um but yeah it was just so well done also was this the one with leonard nimoy in it it was yeah the yeah. last one with leonard nimoy in it yeah animal husbandry is what i remember <laughs> most um yeah, it's great. Oh, um, if you if you don't do anything else from this, go away and watch the intro because mm-hmm. it still has the best intro video and the best intro music to a Civ game. Yeah, yeah. I still occasionally go back uh, and watch and watch that because it's so good. It is great. I don't think five and six. I, I although I like six a fair bit and I like that it's been brought to console and it's more accessible to a lot of people now. I think four was the pinnacle of civilization for me. I think four was the best civilization has ever been. Um, and I could go back to that now and still have a, a great time with it hmm. and sink hours and hours. I think this is probably one of the games that I've sunk the most hours into over the course of my gaming life. Uh, just by virtue of the fact that it is an incredibly long, it's one of those, it's it's one of those one more turn games. Like you, yeah. you get to the end of a turn and you're like, oh, I could stop now. And they even have like an in-game, they have a clock in the game to show you what the actual time is because they know that you're not going to be paying attention because you'll get so sucked into the game. So they actually put a clock in yes. the game itself. Yes. Um, and also as well, like turn one of that game, you're like, I'm going to send my farmer over here and then you end your turn. Yeah. Turn... 150 in that game is like right now that i've secured more grain silos for this city from china using diplomacy now i'm going to go to this city which is next to a forest that is a slowly depleting wood thing to try and find another source of wood which means i might have to encroach upon these borders here and you do that like five six times for all your cities it's crazy it's crazy (laughs) oh dear um all right (laughs) my mood game changer or just a game uh the thing is i'm listening to it and i'm kind of like 
God, this is my game. I would love to play this. But the micromanagement scares me. Just... Yeah. It should. It should. Yeah. <laughs> it is it is very intimidating. Yeah. Yeah. So I think six might be a better better in point for a lot of people because there's less of that or you, you can choose to do less of that. So Um yeah. like um I'm probably gonna gonna abstain and just say game changer because the experts say game changers, <laughs> so it's fine. Okay. That's yeah. good for me. Yeah. <laughs> Rich. <laughs> I'm I have to say game. I'm I'm never gonna play it. Um No. Yeah. I'm just gonna go for a, a solid game. Okay, it's not going to be Rich's game game of Christmas for this year, no? No, indeed not. Not going to get this one? Indeed not. Fair enough. Um, Steve, what about you? Um, I think probably Game Changer, but I'm I'm sort of applying that to Civilization generally, I think. Like, Mm. whether whether or not 4 specifically was a Game Changer, I don't know. But it is a Civ game, and I feel like it deserves to be called a Game Changer. Yeah, agreed. I would call it a game changer. I think it's it's the civilization game that got me into civilization big yeah. time, and I think it did for a lot of people as well. So, I... if anyone's if anyone's curious about this, Civ Six is very clever in that it has all of the complexity, but it doesn't surface it up front. It is mm-hmm. only like you only make use of that complexity if you want to. You mm-hmm. don't have to do it. So, Civ Civ Six is a pretty good place to go if it, you're interested. It yeah, and it's available on all the consoles as well. You can yes. get it on Switch yeah. and stuff. So. It's um, a good place. Uh, coincidentally, um, uh, everything you were talking about, um, if if anybody wants a similar game to that, uh, which is a bit light on the management and actually has a bit more of um, RTS elements as well, there's a really good game on PC called Dragon Commander. It's a bit old, so it'll run on a lot of PCs as well. So you guys mm. can try that out. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Dragon exactly. Commander. I don't know. Anything, I don't know anything about it, but it's got an awesome title. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's really cool. So, uh, so there's two bits of the game. One bit is the diplomacy bit, where you actually have to talk and work with other nations, and you can marry into royalty, or you can execute your prisoners, or you can make all those kind of dip- diplomacy decisions. And then there's also an RTS element where you lead your bat- where you lead your army into battle on a dragon. And you use nice. the dragon to actually change the tide of battle. And, and the whole thing is about uh, just expanding your borders and making sure that the evil empire doesn't murder you or something. <laughs> yeah, Sounds good. Yeah. That sounds, sounds really cool. Yeah. I have yeah. to look into it for sure. Um, all right, so that's that's our second game changer, though, in Civilization Four. so that's good. I have a feeling that we're going to have a couple more before we end. So the, the next game we're going to talk about um, is... Resident Evil 4, which released on the GameCube on March the 18th of this year. Pretty big game, um, all things told. Uh, Steve, I'm going to come to you first for this Mm -hmm. one. You played this one? Yes, I have played this one. Um, I totally recognize why this game is so highly regarded, and I like it a lot too. It's it's fun. Um, I... I don't quite get it to the same level as others though like some people absolutely fucking love this game forever until they die and I don't <laughs> quite understand that like it's good it's well made I found, I, found, I found myself missing what I liked about Resident Evil which is like spookiness and moodiness and downtime and like heightened tension and anxiety mm. some of that stuff is very missing from this one this is very action horror Mm-hmm. Um, but as an action horror game, it is very well made and it is very good and mostly holds up today if you go back and play it. Yeah. 
That's fair. Mahmood? Um, I'd mostly agree with Steve, except um, I, I do get why people love this game for the time. I, I think the years haven't been kind to it. A lot of the... Uh, a lot of the uh, cracks, uh, as it were, show a lot more in the modern age than they do at the time. Like it's it's one of the reasons why. Like it was actually leaked recently that there might be a remake coming out in twenty twenty one. So so I'm looking forward to that. Um, but yeah, it it is it is a brilliant game and it is a brilliant horror game. Uh, but it's a different kind of horror game, and I think um, that's really extenuated. Uh, that's really uh, that's really shown by the. Uh, the initial level which takes place in the village and you're chased by this um uh, by this marauding horde of villagers that actually chase you uh from house to house uh yeah. through windows and actually break to the doors and the ceilings and actually try and get to you it's uh it, it and it was so good that they actually recreated in resident evil 5 mm-hmm. and um mm-hmm. yeah for the time this game was amazing i played it on the ps2 uh yeah i mean if anybody wants to go back and play it i would highly recommend it but it has started to show its age i will say that fair enough yeah rich is this i mean i know you're not big with resident evil games but i feel like you may have gotten to them by this point was this one you played um played and owned i actually got this when i got my wii so i can't speak for the gamecube version but Mm -hmm. i did really like this and on the Wii I mean a big part of it being the actual Wiimote integration it kind of gave it a mm-hmm. real kind of well, it essentially was almost kind of like a light gun game really but obviously the pace was slightly different it was more leaning into the horror I, I like again I, I wasn't someone that really cared all that much for the Resident Evil series but I liked how they changed things up it kind of had the most kind of a hardcore kind of um Hammer horror kind of vibe. It felt more European because of the oh, location. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I also appreciated the fact you had to rescue the president's daughter, which is a very kind of Sega esque, <laughs> yeah. you know, tropey yeah. plotline. And I, I, I love that how cheesy it is. Um, yeah, I really, really enjoyed this. I, I never got on too well with your classic Resident Evil series. So I think the fact this kind of lent more into the action is what made it appeal to me. Um, sure. But yeah, no, I liked it. Really liked it. Did you complete it? Um, no, no, I did not. Mm. Did not. Okay, interesting. Um, um, I, I hear a lot of really good things about that Wii version. Oh, like, yeah. Some people argue that it's the best version of that that's game why... because of the Wiimote control. I, I was disappointed that the Switch yeah. didn't do something similar. I would, I would have got it mm. on the Switch if they worked in the yeah. uh, Joy Cons, but I, I don't understand how they couldn't have. It's ridiculous. So yeah. whatever. <laughs> Um, speaking, if... speaking of Sega and vo- uh, speaking of Sega, the the voice acting in this game is absolutely amazing. Like, uh, <laughs> like you always get these memes. Uh, you always get these memes online of the merchant. It's like, what are you buying? But, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. but, but to be fair, like if you've if you've ever played the game, there's this character in this game called Salazar, who's absolutely incredible. It's like this child king. Uh, character, but he's got this really kind of um, parody of evil voice, which is mm-hmm. which is absolutely amazing. And the and and huge credit to the voice actors in this game. It is it is absolutely amazing. It um, it's uh, it's playful without actually getting ridiculous, which is really really hard to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
I'd argue that the only voice that probably would be an exception for that is Ashley. Yeah. Because she is the most annoying character that's oh, yeah. ever lived. Oh, I mean... yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> See, I mean, seriously, though, she's so, she's so annoying. Like, the, the, the sections where you have to lead her around yeah. and hide her and stuff. It's just She's just constantly saying, like... She's just basically shitting on Leon. Yeah, like, oh, you it's can, so annoying. You can get your revenge though, just by telling her to climb into a bin whenever you want. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that so is that's, true. That's nice. That is true. It, it's interesting hearing Rich talk about it, not being a Resident Evil fan mm. and actually really enjoying Resident Evil Four. And I wonder if that's part of the reason that they that made Resident Evil Four the way it is because they were looking to tap into a different market entirely. It's it is something totally different from what they've done before i think one of the and, things i really uh, love for this game and it kind of really got me in, in the feels is the bit where early on you help the dog was it in, like in a trap or something oh yeah and then oh, he comes back when you've got yeah. the boss battle with like that massive like ogre yeah. troll thing and he yeah. comes back and i'm like whoa that was quite profound that I was like generally love that moment and that was uh really really cool yeah, so. yeah. i'd definitely be interested to play i haven't played it for a long time and i'd be interested to go back to it but at the time, I, I loved it. I loved the game, but it is just so far away from what I expected from Resident Evil that it was very difficult for me to kind of peg it at the same level as all the other Resident Evil games. Like, uh, you know, we, we talked about the upcoming uh, possible remake of 4, and I think myself and a few other people online are, are kind of shouting that, hey, you've done 2 and 3, you really should be doing Code Veronica because, you know, it's it's the next game in the Resident Evil series that makes sense to to, to remake. Resident Evil 4, although maybe it's showing its age a little bit now, it is still something you could go back and play. Like if you played it on the PS4 or something, it still it holds it fairly well, I think. It, it And it's the, uh, not the originator, but it made popular uh, a lot of things that, that games have now, like the over-the-shoulder camera is, is hugely popular with, with games now. You know, the, the modern Resident Evil games, the, uh, the remakes for 2 and 3 brought it in. It's, it, it's, it's, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's it sounds a... like a like it sounds like a small thing, but the fact that the character is to the left of center, that was this like that that's in every game now, and mm-hmm. and and this was the first game to do that, and it makes a huge difference. Like it's a third person ag- action game where you are not obscured by the main character. Like nobody had thought to do that before, but mm. in Resident Evil Four, Leon is slightly to the left, and it makes a huge difference to the way that mm. game feels. And every third person game does that now. Mm-hmm. So like Resident Evil Four is a very is it's a very important. It's not just that, but for a lot of reasons, it's a very important game. And it did it did a lot of things really well. It did, yeah. But I'm 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 in the same place as you, where I came to it as a Resident Evil fan, and I was like, this is a good game, but what are we doing? This is not what I thought it would be at all. Like, yeah, is, yeah. Right. There was some great some great things in it though, like the alligator and the golem and having to fight mm-hmm. all the people trying to get to you in the house. Yeah, it, it, there was some great great sections of it, but it didn't feel like Resident Evil overall. Like Andrew and Steve, like uh, speaking of Code Veronica, um, would you actually like Capcom to recreate it as a Resident Evil style horror game? I I'd like to see them do it the same way they did the two and three remakes. Because I think that would work incredibly well, and it—it's it, a story that needs to that more people need to see. I think because it's—it's one of the, it's one of the Resident Evil games that a lot of people don't, you know, they when you when you talk to people about Resident Evil, they'll talk about the first game, the second game, probably Resident Evil Four as well. Code Veronica doesn't come up very much for a lot of people when you talk about Resident Evil, and I think it deserves a lot more people to play it. And I reckon it'd work really well in a in a 
two slash three remake style so i think that that would be a i would prefer them to make that than a four remake at least right now four maybe in a mm. few years time mm. but yeah i i'm fine with uh code veronica being what it is to be honest uh andrew uh andrew and a lot of people to be fair have a, a great love for code veronica for a lot of good reasons but it isn't the most popular one in the series it is the most over overlooked one and actually i would rather that they remade resident evil one before four but that's just mm. that's that's just me well I, well didn't they remake it like they made the remaster right yeah well they did the so there is the gamecube version of resident evil one which is great but i would like to see resident evil one in the most recent remake style okay Fair enough. Mm. Um, well, one of the things I would say about Resident Evil 4, um, I think the main reason why it doesn't feel like a Resident Evil game and why the remakes of 2 and 3 actually feel, about Resident, actually feel like Resident Evil games is because um, 2 and 3, especially in the remakes, they, they retain that feeling of claustrophobia where you're boxed mm. in and nowhere to go. Whereas in 4, there's a, the environment is a lot more open even when you're inside. So you have an yeah. opportunity to move around and aim and get away from your enemy. And mm -hmm. uh, whereas in 2 and 3, you really feel boxed in. You can either go forwards and backwards. And even if you go backwards, there's a chance there's going to be zombies coming out of the windows and um, and coming for you. So you always feel trapped no matter where you are. And yeah. uh, and I, I, th I, think, uh, I think that's probably why it doesn't feel like a Resident Evil game to you guys. But, but I still like it. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the thing. It's, it's as a game, it's excellent. It is an excellent game. It's just it's not maybe an excellent Resident Evil game, but I can see it. I can see it as a great game in its own right. So in that, thinking of that, would we call this just a game, or would we call it a game changer? Uh, Rich, uh, what do you think? I would, I would say game changer because I think like what was what Steve said earlier. It's kind of popularized the whole over the shoulder, leading somewhat to the left you know third person experience i think not just how it's informed later resident evil games but i think the genre as a whole um and i thought it brought, i think it brought a few more eyes to the series as well as big as resident evil was already i think people that yeah wanted something a bit more on the action um level i think it definitely must have grown the audience for the yeah for resident evil so i'll say game changer sure. yeah uh mahmoud yeah, um, I'd say Game Changer. I, I think I'd echo Rich's sense, sentiments. Um, yeah, I mean, especially for the time, it was it was a huge leap forward in terms of a new gameplay style and something that hadn't really been seen before, and it got so many things right. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I'd say Game Changer. Okay. Um, Steve? Uh, I mean, I, I can't get away with not saying this is a Game Changer. Uh, <laughs> my that's not what my heart says but but i can't deny that it is a game that it is a game changer yeah i think I've, i'm with you steve on that one it's uh yeah it's a game changer but it i i i, I just keep coming back to the fact that it's a resident evil game and i i yeah. feel like i can't it's as a resident evil game i can't say that but as a game i definitely yes. can say it's a game changer um all right so that's another one uh the next game um is one that i can't really talk much on because i haven't played much of it but i know it is a huge series now, um, and this is the first one. Uh, so it is the very first God of War game, God of War, uh, mm -hmm. PS2, that it came out on on July the 8th. Who's played this out of the four of us? I, like I said, I really haven't played much of it. Uh, Steve, have you played this? I have, yeah. I got yeah. this 
way back when on the PS2. Very impressed with it. Very impressed mm-hmm. with it. I loved it. Mamu, have you played this one? I actually replayed all of the God of Wars in the last two months. Because oh, wow. uh, right. I wanted to actually refresh the story in my mind. So I actually went through all of them. Except for Ascension, I actually still need to play that. But um, I replayed this about two months ago. And um, it's not as good as God of War 2. But so many of the ideas in God of War 2. Like you can clearly see the, the genesis of those ideas in this game. And the story itself is is really good as well. Um and uh, and I, I always I always make this joke that um, God of War is the story of how um, uh, the God of War became Gary Oldman and Wonder Woman. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but uh, <laughs> but especially for the time when it came out, this this was the system seller. Um, like uh, at, at the time during the PS2 GameCube uh, generation, there was always this thing of what game sells the system, and this was the game that sold the system. You could show mm-hmm. this to anyone, and um, and it could stack up to anything the Xbox or GameCube brought out, even though the PS2 was technically. Uh, the the least powerful machine out of the three, it could still pump out these kind of in, in, these kind of visuals. It also had progressive stat, scan mode for ATP, which was mm. uh, which was not common for the PS2 at the time. It had a rock solid thirty frames per second. Um, the boss fights were incredible. Um, the and uh, and this was the game where. Um, where God of War started the whole thing of showing these huge, uh, huge views of vistas and, uh, like, I, I don't know how you describe it. Um, S- Steve, how would you describe it? You, you know that thing that God of War does where it shows you these huge, huge expansive cities with loads and loads of detail, and uh, they, they have this magnificent uh, Greek architecture and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. How would yeah, you describe it, that? It, I mean, it's um, uh, yeah. I guess what I guess what you've said already. They are just very impressive, huge vistas. Often, they often show you by like pulling the camera out in real time as mm-hmm. well. And like Kratos is like running around like a tiny little per- per- like it was extremely impressive. And it felt like somebody had cracked the PS2 open and found another processor in there somewhere. And they were like, oh, this was just here the whole time, and now we can make games like this. It felt impossible. It looked it looked so good, mm. um, and it was all about the. Uh, so I I haven't played it in a long time, and I suspect if I was to go back, uh, I think parts of this game might be a little bit maybe cringy or embar- like kind of edgy in a sort of cringy way. But mm. how I how I remember it, it was a very like complicated, um, gritty angry violent story that i really really loved mm-hmm. um i don't know how well it holds up given that it was from the mid 2000s uh it holds up it holds up oh, a oh, lot it, be- it holds up a lot better than you think i mean some of the puzzles they are tiring now like you, you kind of like uh, i have to go through this again but but the combat itself and and the blood and the gore and the story everything it, it goes together really really well and cool. um, and and there is an obvious jump in quality from one to two, like mm-hmm. everything's just so much more refined. But at the same time, the first one is still a pleasure to play, and you can tell why this was a classic. At the time, yeah, like, this is cool. still a classic. 
cool. And, and, and this is a game all about being angry. Uh, Kratos is angry all the time. Yeah. Every door, every, every, every door you open, he opens angrily. Yep. And every, every interaction you have, whenever you open a chest, you have to mash the square button angrily. And that's how he opens mm. the chest. Yeah. Um, and that comes out in the combat as well, which is um, really fun to do. But it's the spec. The spectacle is in like the fi- is in the finishing moves, mm-hmm. where you defeat bigger enemies like minotaurs and stuff, and you sort of rip their horns off and shove them up their asses or whatever. Um, yeah. Exemplified in the boss fights, which were usually uh, massive, and you would always finish them with quick time events, where you'd stab them in their eyeballs and and mm-hmm. what ha- what uh what have you in a very cinematic fashion with like rousing music and like court like choruses uh in the background really really good stuff really 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 strong stuff yeah i remember the, the little that i've played of the first game and the second game it just plays very well like you, mm-hmm. you, it's a really good action action game you know it's it just feels like you want to keep playing it and keep killing things basically that, that that like you said the combat is really like it's moorish almost like it yes, feels it like is. you could just yeah. just keep going forever um and this was before the likes of batman arkham asylum that kind of almost uh made this kind of combat it, it, it refined it even more but this felt very refined at the time um rich we've not heard from you yet is this one that you have played not played god of war no. i'm afraid sorry not any of the entries not in the latest one Unfortunately, no, no. You are Fair so enough. missing out. I'm sure I am. I'm sure I am. But... The newest <laughs> game, the newest game, which would almost certainly make you cry. Oh, I don't doubt it. So I don't <laughs> doubt it. It would be good to test that at some point. Yeah, buy me a PS5 or PS4, and we'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> you can get like an old one now for like less than a hundred quid. Oh, I'm sure. sure there's loads of people selling them. Let's set up a GoFundMe. It's not the first time we've uh, we've we've said this. <laughs> GoFundMe to get rich at PS4. <laughs> um, all right. Well, on on that basis, then God of War. What are we saying? Is it a game or a game changer? Rich. Uh, I'm gonna say game. Just... Yep. Yeah. Your default position game for game. games you've not played. That is fair enough. That is fair enough. Um, Steve, what about you? I think I think it's a game changer. I Ooh. think I don't. It that that doesn't. I don't, I don't get to that point automatically as such, but I, I think on reflection, it's probably a game changer. Like it, it, it was a pretty big deal at the time. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, Mahmoud, would you uh, agree? Massive game changer. Like uh, I think that um, you have to think back to uh, the time it was released. I mean, uh, there were a lot of multi-platform games coming out on the PS2, but there was nothing really impressive that actually showed off what the PS2 could do and this game did like like the huge the huge environments and the super smooth gameplay like everything about it was just absolutely amazing and you just kind of wondered how is the PS2 even doing this and then and then they actually won up themselves with God of War 2 which was amazing so yeah definitely mm. game changer it's an interesting one isn't it because you know this year this is the year that the Xbox 360 came out so next gen was coming out and at the same time you had games coming for the PS2 like God of War and then you know after that God of War 2 but the next gen was just around the corner so it was it was that late stage of the console where all these amazing games started to kind of present themselves on you know and God of War was definitely one of them i mean having not played much of it I feel, I feel like I, I kind of have to give it game changer, but only because of what it then brought forward, which is those kind of that that style of epic 
yeah. action game um, that you know ultimate, ultimately brought us uh, the God of War from 2018, which is possibly the epic, the epicest, which is not a word, but the epicest <laughs> of epic um, action games. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's another game changer, quite quite clearly. Um, all right, we're going to do one more that we'll go into depth with, and then there's two at the end that I just kind of want to touch on because I feel like they're not particularly huge games that we can spend forever talking about. But the, the next game that we may be able to talk about for a little while is the third game in a franchise that has its roots in Resident Evil, um, and this is uh, another PS2 game released March the 24th, and it is Devil May Cry 3 Dante's Awakening. Um, I, for the second time this episode... I'm going to say this is a game that I started, enjoyed, and then my partner took over and played it from start to end while I watched. <laughs> and I have no no impetus to go back and play it now because I've seen it. Um, but what I watched, I, it, it's incredible. It's an incredible looking game and it it's great. But I don't feel like I can say much about it. So mm. before we go on to Mahmood and Steve, who I'm pretty sure both have probably played this. Rich, have you played Devil May Cry 3? No, I've played some of 5, but that's about <laughs> it. That's the only time I've played any of this series. Um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's never really well, appealed to me. It. it does look, like you say, it looks a fun game to watch someone play, but I've just never felt compelled to pick up a controller myself and give it a go. Um, Have you played Bayonetta out of, out of curiosity? Um, I think some of Bayonetta 1, but otherwise, no. Okay. No. It's kind of that similar mm. kind of style to yeah. Bayonetta. But, um, okay. Uh, Mahmood, what about you? Have you played um, uh... Devil May Cry 3? I have played all the Demo- Devil May Cry games. Uh, awesome. Three is really, really good. It's not my favorite, but it is it is an excellent game. It's um, uh, after after the disaster that was Devil May Cry two. Um, three was a breath of fresh air, especially in terms of the story. It was so much fun. The gameplay, especially changing the sword styles, mid combo, everything was amazing. Uh, I didn't really use that. Like this was also, I don't know if you had in Devil May Cry one, but this was also one of the first games in the Devil May Cry series that allowed you to have secondary weapons, and absolutely loved uh, playing with the nunchucks. Okay. Uh, yeah, the it's it's an absolutely amazing game. Um, fun fact: the the director of this game, um, I think his name is um, Hideaki. It's you know I'm 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 butchering that name I know, but um, he was also the director of um, Devil May Cry two. Uh, he he was he was one of like six or seven directors. He came in at the end and kind of just made the game shippable, and um, and this was his redemption game essentially. He wanted to show that he could actually make a good Devil May Cry game, and this is what he delivered. And I think he massively succeeded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like you said, Devil May Cry two, uh, Devil May Cry two sucked. Uh, this one only exists because two sucked. Because they went right. Let's stop messing about. Let's make a good one. And they really, really did. They really nailed mm-hmm. it. Uh, I played it a long time ago, so I can't really go that in depth on this. But I just remember absolutely loving it, and I still think it probably has one of the best intro cutscenes uh, in games. Still, it is ridiculous and it sets up the tone immediately which is we don't take ourselves seriously at all this is fun this is gonna be a fun game let's have fun uh and it's great so if you get a chance go back and watch that uh on youtube because it's great fair enough 
absolutely loved one of the cutscenes where um, there's this female character lady. Um, all she does the whole time in the game is just carry around a rocket launcher and shoot it at enemies. And um, and she uses like a blade at the end of the rocket launcher in order to kill them. And uh, the first time she meets Dante, she fires a rocket at him. And what Dante ends up doing is riding the rocket around the room for about mm. two or three minutes before <laughs> before hitting it into a wall that was barricading his process. Uh, that was barricading his progress. And then he kind of just quips at her and then goes away. <laughs> <laughs> Ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's the a cool franchise. Entire yeah. game is the entire game is that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, two two took itself seriously, right? It was quite a, it did, a, yeah. a an up its own ass kind of game. Yeah. Um, and from three onwards, they've not taken themselves that seriously. Like five, from what I can gather, is very much like a fun, funny kind of like uh, supernatural romp of a game, from mm. what I understand of it. So. Yeah. Also, uh, those cutscenes are so good, and this, uh, along with Resident Evil Four, I think was sort of the start of a trend from Capcom of really, really high production value in mm. the cutscenes, um, which remains true to the to this day. I think, to for the most part, we were playing Resident Evil Six co-op, which is a nonsense mm-hmm. game when the story makes oh, no yeah. sense at all. But the cutscenes are so good; they're so well produced, and I feel like mm-hmm. you 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 can trace that back to Resident Evil Four and this game. True. Um, also, um, for people who are interested, Devil May Cry Three acts as a prequel to Devil May Cry One, and it is the best of the series. So, if you want to try one game of that era, you can play Devil May Cry Three and not miss anything. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, what are we? Are we? Are we thinking this is a game changer, or is this just a game, Steve? What are you thinking? My instinct is to say that it is a game. Uh, it's a strong game, but it's a game. Okay. Uh, my mood. Yeah, I'd agree. It's it's a game. Um, the original Devil May Cry was a game changer. Uh, this is a game. It builds it builds upon a lot of what Devil May Cry did, but um, it doesn't. It's not really a leap forward. Okay. Uh, Rich? Um, very much another game for me, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> very true. And, and for me as well, I'm going to say that. I, uh, I I enjoyed watching it being played, and I enjoyed the little bit that I played of it myself. Uh, so definitely a game. Um, okay, moving on then. We've got a couple of games that launched. Uh, I don't think they, they necessarily launched with the consoles themselves, but these are handheld games. We don't often talk about handheld games uh, on this really very often. So I thought we'd kind of mention a little bit here. So this uh, this game launched with uh, the PSP uh, on September 1st. And that was, uh, and I can never pronounce this correctly. Somebody's going to have to tell me if this is right or wrong. I've always called it Lumens. I believe it's called Lumines. Uh Lumines Puzzle Fusion. What do you, What? how do you pronounce it, Steve? It's uh, Lum, 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 uh, I can't even say it for the first, <laughs> in the first instance. Uh, Lumines is, I believe, how it is pronounced. Luminous. Would everybody agree with that? Is that how we say it? Yeah, let's go with um. that. <laughs> <laughs> Rich, Rich, can I just I've, ask, I've never thought you, about uh, it. So. Have you played Luminous before? Of course not. Of course not. Okay, let's want to get uh, out of the way early. I spent with the PSP. All I did is spend my time playing Loco yeah. Roco. So no other game really matters. I'm afraid. I mean, that was oh, a great oh, game. Yeah, 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 fair enough. Um, so I, this is, I mean, again, this is another game that has um, links back to the Dreamcast because the producer of it is Tetsuya uh, uh, Tetsuya Mizuguchi, who made Res and Space Channel Five, 
so it's his whole thing of making puzzle games um, that are based around music. And this is a bloody fantastic one. I really, really enjoyed uh, Luminous. Uh, and this being the first one, it was it was new and interesting. The music in it is fantastic. Uh, the the kind of it, the, it's kind of a block matching that's very similar to Tetris, but it's um, you know it's it's two different colors of block, and you have to match the colors together. And it, it's just very, as far as puzzle games go, it is a great one. Um, and the fact that you do it to the music as well is it gives it that extra dimension that I don't think uh, a lot of games have. Uh, Mahmoud, have you played Luminez at all? I have. Uh, I just didn't really have much of a connection to it, or I didn't form much of a connection to it. I mean, it's fine, but when I played mm. it, I was just kind of like, well, it's Tetris, and I'd rather play Tetris, so, mm. yeah. Fair. Fair. Uh, Steve, what about yourself? Do you want to hear my impression of Rich? Go for uh, it. Yeah, Go sure. For Never it. played it. Oh! <laughs> All right. He came in with how to pronounce it, and then I thought, oh, he's played it. Steve loves this game. He knows that. <laughs> and then haven't. Wow. Okay. Um, a lot of people talk about this game, so I, I know that it's I know that it's well regarded, but I never I never played it. Sadly. Fair enough. You should. Yeah. You really should. You should give it a go. So I hear. Yeah, you've got a Vita, right? You've still got a Vita. I do. Yeah. It's on the there's the Electronic Symphony on the Vita is uh, is a very good version. Is it? it so. Can you still buy yes. games? Oh, you you can access the Vita store from within the Vita, right? Yes, and you could probably also get it from CEX for pretty cheap. Oh, what you mean? Go buy version. UMD. No, no, the UMD no, was the PSP. Vita. Vita had. The Do you know cards. what? It's been so long since I've used my Vita. <laughs> <laughs> that's my uh, that's my one my Modern Warfare two moment there. It is, yeah, it's true. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I should go. I should maybe go, go seek that out. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, it's I mean, as far as puzzle games go, it's it's one of the better ones, and maybe Tetris is now um, surpassed it again with effect, Tetris Effect and Tetris Ninety Nine. But yeah, I'm reasonably sure it's on the Switch as well, although I might be wrong. Uh, Luminous Remastered, yes, it yeah. is indeed. Is that not worth that playing? Correct. Yes, it is. It is, but I forgot for a second that oh, it was right. on okay. the Switch. So. I'll go. I'll <laughs> go get a UMD for my Switch then. Sure, go for it. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> have at it. Um, but I think. Uh, I, I mean, again, I can't really call. I don't think I could call this one a game changer because although it's a great puzzle game and it's the first of its of its kind, it's, it certainly didn't shake things up massively. Would you all agree? It's just a game rather than a game changer. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, it's a game. I mean, it's a game. It's a franchise. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's fine. Whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and lastly, a game I wanted to put in because I wanted to mention a DS game. I haven't played this. I haven't played very many DS games, but I know this one is quite well loved. And I'm going to see if any of you guys have played it. Uh, and that is uh, released on October 7th. And that's Nintendogs. Mm-hmm. Has anybody played Nintendogs? Never played it. Mm-mm, no. I just wanted to. No. I just kind of wanted it on Switch, but no, I've never played it. No, Mermaid? Um... I have played it once or twice, but I actually didn't want to talk about Nintendo. I actually wanted to tell a, tell a funny anecdote about a dog, since we okay. have time. So, sure. uh, so my girlfriend's mom actually has a Jack Russell, and um, uh, the thing is, I, I've I've never actually had a dog. Like I've interacted with dogs somewhat, but I've never actually had a dog, and I don't like being licked by them. And for some reason, this dog always wants to lick me whenever he wants to meet me. Like, I'm fine petting him. I'm fine cuddling him. I just don't want him to lick me. And he never feels uh, complete without licking me in some way. So so, uh, so every time I actually go over to her mom's house now, what this dog does is that he actually sneaks up to me. 
he waits for me to actually uh, scratch him behind the ear, go back to watching TV, and then he sticks up to me, licks my toes, and then runs away. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, okay. Yeah. Mentioning in 10 dogs is worth he, it just he, for the anecdote. Yeah. He likes so, licking you so much that he knows you don't want it, and he does it anyway. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so, um, Nintendo's, it's its a dog simulator. It's, um, if you've never owned a dog before, it is like owning a dog, kind of, without the mess, without the buying food, because the game gives you money to buy food and toys and take them to contests and stuff like that. Um, it's not really my kind of game, but I did know, I, I do know that it was kind of like um tetris was to the game boy it was it was mm-hmm. what sold the system at the time along with um, something called brain training mm-hmm. um so yeah i i know there are loads of people out there who like it who love it who still play with their dogs on it and but um it's not really my kind of game no no i think it's fair to say it's probably not any of our kind of game really because mm. the rest of us not really played it but it, it looked so interesting. I just feel sorry for all of those dogs um, when the players closed their DS for the last time and then nev- nev- never went back. <laughs> That's true. Mm. Poor neglected dogs. Millions of dogs just left alone. Yeah. Oh, oh funny thing. In preparation for this episode, I actually went online and I actually started searching for Nintendo dogs just to kind of remember what it looked like. And there were these videos of people um, opening up their DS, like, oh, checking out my Nintendo dogs after 14 years. <laughs> and they were opening up their saves file, and it's still a puppy, and it's still happy to see him. And I'm like, that is the most low maintenance dog I have ever <laughs> yeah. seen. I mean, that's Nintendo for you, right? They want you just to have a nice time. They don't want, they don't want you to come back 14 years later to a dead dog, to be fair. How good, yeah. um, how good would it be if you opened it up after that long and it was just flies buzzing? on that note um (laughs) i'm not sure we can really fairly rate this game as anything apart from game to be fair i don't think Mm. it's fair for us to say anything else so Um, we'll leave it at that to to be fair i'd still call it a game changer because oh really yeah because um because it was nintendo's version like i don't know if nintendo made tamagotchi but it was nintendo's version of a tamagotchi game True. and it yeah. was kind of the first one in the series so i was gonna say there's definitely an argument for game changer i would mm. feel weird personally saying that but but yeah you could make an argument for that i think yeah yeah that's fair enough but i think there's enough of us here who would just say game for it that um, yeah on this particular episode mm, yeah. we are just gonna call it a game um but we have, uh, yeah, we've come to the end of the games that I wanted to talk about with you. I also wanted to point out, which I was going to point out at the very beginning of the episode, but forgot. This is the very first episode where every single person has a beard. <laughs> What's going on? I have a beard now. You do. Everybody yeah. has a beard. And it's a, I mean, uh, it's a great beard, by the by. It's all right. I, I like that Mahmood had to lean in just to see what because he's no, not, just, not quite fully formed. No, I, no, I was just no, I was just making sure because it actually looks like there's a progression of beardom on my screen. <laughs> like you have the shortest beard, I have I have slightly longer, Rich has slightly longer, and Steve has the longest one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> the progression of the beard. Yeah, yeah. that's what. We're, I am the final form of beards. Yeah. <laughs> the final form. <laughs> very cool but yes um <laughs> sorry that was a slight aside there i just thought i'd mention it um so before we move on to the quiz which is the thing we usually do um i don't know if anybody wants to mention any other games i wanted to briefly 
mention, not necessarily talk about, but just to remind people of its existence. And that's Fahrenheit, which is a game by David Cage. Uh, it was the game they made after Omicron Nomad Soul, but before Heavy Rain. Very odd game. Mm. Very, very odd game, mm. Fahrenheit. I liked it oh. for its weirdness, but it, it is bizarre. Um, I, I remember that game. Um, I especially remember it because the first part of that game, like the first third of that game was this amazing murder mystery um, thing where you actually were uh, playing the part of the criminal and the policeman trying to find him. And then later on became this kind of sci-fi Matrix ripoff, which is really yeah. weird. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's that's exactly it. I really enjoyed the start of this game. Really well done. Uh, then it gets awful. Like it, it is it is embarrassingly inspired by the mate by the Matrix. They throw away all the clever stuff that they were doing and they're like, No, it's dodging bullets now. That's what this game is. <laughs> also, <laughs> David the Cage start- shouldn't be allowed to tell stories because he just seems a bit i don't know i'm Shit. not gonna say i'm not gonna say hack but yeah he just seemed to believe yeah, in no. hope and he's very self-indulgent it, and just a at, at the beginning of yeah. at the beginning of this game he he's in it he put himself in the game he's a polygonal mm. version of himself and he comes out and he's like what you are about to experience is an interactive narrative experience it's <laughs> it's embarrassing <laughs> uve balls actual video kind of yeah. uh yeah, yeah. Oh, Dear me, you've not played this then, Rich? Oh then, no. God, no! I mean, I've I've laughed at videos no. of Heavy Rain, but that's about as much David Cage as I can. Heavy um, Rain see, is a much I, better I like game. It is a much better yeah. game, but it's still David. Like David Cage is not a good storyteller, and mm. somebody needs to realize that and stop giving him <laughs> money. The teams who make those games are very talent, very like very good. Like the games are yeah. are great, but the stories are garbage. I, I'd say they're hit and miss. I wouldn't say they're complete garbage. There's some. There are some good points. Like Heavy Rain is great in points, and Beyond is great in points, but maybe not as good as Heavy Rain. And Detroit is. Uh, uh, people really love that game, and I can see why because it's it's very. So very I, on I I really I really love Detroit as well, but it is not the story that David Cage thinks it is. He he thinks right. that it's a very profound commentary on the nature of humanity and transhum and transhumanism and all that, and it it ain't. It's not. It's not that. It isn't. <laughs> also, like racism and equality. Yeah. Like he just completely ham fists his way through all of those themes and goes rah 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 rah, uh, thinking that he's telling a really nuanced tale. Um, luckily, though, underneath that, it is actually a really enjoyable game. But um, he needs to start writing stories. <laughs> I I think what David Cage is really good at is being a visual director because um, if you play Detroit, there's that one level where um, Marcus, I think the character's name is, uh, mm-hmm. grows up, uh, wakes up in a uh, robot graveyard mm-hmm. and he has to crawl his way out of there. That that level was absolutely amazing and I oh, think yeah. Yeah. visually it was absolutely incredible, but at the same time it's like when you compare it to the rest of the game and the story, you're kind of like, eh... And, yeah. and you kind of mm. just like find another writer just just do the visuals you know yeah yeah and fahrenheit was probably the start of of that mm. um and uh, they just recently re- released the remaster again on ps4 so if you do want to experience that you can don't if you would like don't, to. Oh, for, fahrenheit. Um... <laughs> for fahrenheit yeah for fahrenheit yeah seriously all yeah. right I, I might have to yeah. check that out that that that, that game was a trip Honestly. It was a trip, yeah. for sure. I mean, the fact that that I mean, I mean, spoilers, obviously, but the fact that by the end, the character, the main character, was a zombie, 
uh, is just uh, just and and there is a sex scene with said zombie is yeah. just yeah ridiculous. Anyway, were there any of the, before we move on to the quiz? Were there any of the games that anybody wanted to mention? I don't um, like this part of the podcast because I Google 2005 game releases, but they're always the American release dates, and I don't mm-hmm. trust yeah. any of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, I'm, I'm going to save. I'm going to save mine. I think for my uh, my uh, my pitch and a future episode. Fair enough. Ooh, fair enough. Fair enough. For game of the year. Yeah. Mahmood, was there any others that you wanted to bring up? Doesn't matter if there isn't, but if there uh, are, that's cool. Uh, I actually thought I was going to mention a modern game instead, but uh, <laughs> let me just have a look and pick one at random that I think sounds good. All right, let's let's go for this one. Uh, the Punisher. If anybody wants to go back and play Ooh. a really really fun game uh, <laughs> for the PS2, um, essentially. Um, what I would describe The Punisher as is a third-person murder simulator. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Right. Yeah. Third-person torture porn mm-hmm. simulator. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Right. Because, because the whole game is not about shooting villains. It is about dragging them to death traps and watching them scream in terror as their body parts are crunched up by machinery or wood chippers. <laughs> and it is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Get all the anger out. Yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, I so I play I played that game on the PC, which means that mm-hmm. I could remove the censorship that was on the because like yes. you could because you tried to get information from folk, right? Mm-hmm. That's that was the point of the torturing. It's like uh, and you can put somebody's head underneath a drill and like lower the drill down towards their head. Like, tell me what I want to know. Tell me what I want to know. But just before you pull it down, the camera like cuts away or it looks somewhere else or something. So yeah, I uncensored that on the PC and it was glorious. And that it, it yeah. is a really really fun game. They did this cool thing as well. You get little sound bites from the, uh, the enemies when you, before you kill them, saying like, "Oh, I've got kids," or "I'm about to retire," or "I'm married," <laughs> and then you just finish them off anyway. It is pretty fantastic. Um, yeah. Yeah, that game was imaginative. There's a level set in a zoo, and the amount of environmental kills that you, you can do in in the just in the zoo level is great. Like you you grab mm. people as like human shields, and then just walk over to whatever part of the zoo you're like. Should we do piranhas or polar bear or shark? <laughs> yeah. Which one should we go for? It's great. You guys are all sadists. Like this is just the like this is what I've learned about you today. Um, I'll so. have you know I'm a very nice person. Okay. <laughs> Your taste in games would say otherwise. But okay. <laughs> no, it does. It does sound fun. I mean, yeah. you know, that's the whole point of games, right? Is to do things that you can't do in real life, and uh, yeah, to, part of that is to take your anger out on shit. Yeah, so. it's to, the point of games is to do things that I wish I could do in real life. That's right. <laughs> And I'm not going to be seeing you after lockdown, Steve. <laughs> Moving on to, let's go on to the quiz. Um, so this is the thing that we do every time where Rich is pitched against our guest. Um, and you have to guess whether the game title that I give you was released in 2005 or 2015. Um, Steve, of course, you can play along, but I have a special question for you at the end. So, um, Mamoudi, you okay with that? Basically, I'll give you a game title and you just have to tell me whether you think it was released in 2005 or 2015. Yep, cool. Cool. So I'm going to take it, I'm going to do it in turns. So Rich will have the first question and then Mamoudi the next and so on. So Rich, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, so your game, Rich, is Red Ninja, End of Honor. Um... Oh jeez. 2005. 2005 or 2015, Rich? I'm going to say 2005. 
Okay. Mm. Okay. Um, Mahmood, if this was your question, what what year would you gone for? Uh, 2015. Okay. I and am, Steve, I am familiar with this game. Ah. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> well in that case, That's 2015 well. is my answer. That's... Okay. Um, well, you'd be wrong. It is 2005. Red Ninja: oh, End of Honor really? released on PS2 a... and Xbox on in 2005. Oh, you betrayed me, Mahmood. You betrayed me. Like I no no honestly, I picked it up from the bargain bin at the time, and and I was just and and everybody was telling me this is a terrible game. And I was like, I have to go home and play it. And I was just like, <laughs> but but it's kind of like one of those terrible games that are just terrible and not fun to play. So yeah, fair. Doesn't look great, to be fair. But yeah, this was PS2, Xbox, back in 2005. So there you go. Um, all right, Mahmood, uh, yes. your question. Rich has one point. Let's see if you can draw level. And your game is Pack Picks. I have never Pack heard of this Picks. one. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, uh, I'll hope it hits this time, 2015. Okay, Rich, what would you say? Um... I actually was going to say 2015 as well. All right. Steve, I'm, I'm going to say 2005. All right. Well, it's a shame you're not playing, Steve, because 2005 is correct. Oh. It's a Pac-Man game, Pac-Picks, that released on the DS, the Nintendo ah. DS in 2005. I should have known a game that horribly named wouldn't be released in 2015. <laughs> <laughs> Rich, you're up next. And your game... Yes. Is Brandish the Dark Revenant? Two thousand five. Two thousand five. Mm. Uh, Mahmood, what would you say? I'll go two thousand fifteen again. One of these has to be right. <laughs> well, it's true. It's fifty-fifty. <laughs> yeah. uh, Steve, I, I, a name that generic. I feel like that's more of a twenty. Like if it was two thousand five, it would have just been called Brandish the Dark Revenant. Sounds like a two thousand fifteen generic ass mm. generic game name to me. <laughs> Rich, you said 2005, right? Uh-huh. Uh, you would be incorrect. Um... It is a pl- PlayStation Vita game, also released on the PSP yeah. a while back in Japan, and that released in 2015. Aha. Result. Why do I always do really badly when I stand in for Rich and then do all right I know. when I'm not playing? Mm. It's the pressure. I think yeah. it's the pressure, Steve. Yeah. I think that's what puts you off. Uh, Mahmood, your next game um, to draw level with Rich is... Mega Man Zero Four. Oh, that's a tough one. Mm. I'd say two thousand five. Two thousand five, Rich. What would you say? Yeah, I was gonna say five as well. Okay. Yeah. Steve. Right. I've never heard of Zero Four. Um. Which which makes me think it's two thousand five as well. You've all agreed on the year, oh, and you're all correct. Oh, it yeah, is wow. uh, two thousand five. It was a Game Boy Advance game. Okay. Yeah. So that is a point to you, Mahmood. So that means you both have one point each. So these next Jeez. two questions are going to be important. I do have a tiebreaker if it comes to it. Rich, your next question: Mario Party Ten. <laughs> That's, that's 15. Has to be. Has to be. You think so? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, what, the first game was the N64, so I couldn't imagine... 
Yeah, I don't think they were bashing them out that quickly to get to 10 within, what, 8 to 9 years. I don't know. I'm okay. thinking 15. Mm. Okay. Mahmoud, what would you say? Yeah, um, 2015 as well. I'm reasonably sure it was on the VU, although my memory could be wrong. But I'm reasonably sure it was on the VU, so I'll go 2015. Fair enough. Steve? Um, this is the worst Mario Party, Mario Party game, which is saying a lot because they're all bad. This is this is the worst one, uh, and it was 15. Yeah, it was. You were all correct. It's 2015 on the Wii U, so you are also correct, mm. Mahmood, with the console. So there you go. Uh, that's another point to Rich, which means, Mahmood, you need to get this one right in order to stay in with a chance. Oh, pressure, pressure. Pressure, pressure. And your game is Ice 9. Ice 9. Are you sure it's not a movie in, instead of the game? Or... <laughs> no, definitely a game oh, so the gosh. word ice and the number nine although written in in the word form ice nine i'm, I'm going 2005 just just because of how bad the how bad a name it is just okay yeah fair fair that's a good reason uh rich what would you think um 2015 oh Going for the opposite, mm. uh, Steve. Uh, again, thinking? I think if this was in 2015, it would be called Ice Nine: The Dark Revenant, but it's just called <laughs> Ice Nine, which makes me think it's 2005. Okay. Um, oh, my mood. Yes. You're right. Oh. It's 2005 on the Game Boy Advance. Oh. What do I win? Well, you haven't won yet because you've both tied for points, oh, and geez. that means we have to use the tiebreaker. So this one, so we actually get a definitive winner. Um, you are going to have to just shout the answer to me. So the first person who shouts the correct answer is the winner. And the tiebreaker question, get ready. Get ready. The tiebreaker question. The game is Kick and Fennec. 2015. 2005. I've got to be brave. I've got to be brave. I've got to be brave. <laughs> I mean, yeah. If if, uh, if my mood is wrong, then you are right. Um, True. I but know. unfortunately for you, Rich, Mahmood is not wrong. No. <laughs> Mahmood has got it correct. It was released on the Vita in 2015. I've played it before. You have played it? Yeah. Oh, okay. I'd oh, never heard of this game. Me neither. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's, uh... God, it's hard to describe. It's a 2D fighting game. It's a lot of fun. Um... No, no, no. God, no, no. I'm thinking of something else. I'm thinking of Dive Kick. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> but Kick and Panic uh, is a 2D platformer, sorry. Um, it's, cool. um, it's, it's a lot of fun to play, yeah. Yeah. A bit basic, but yeah. Well, you've won. Uh, you don't actually win anything. You just win the, uh, the... You know, you, you get the, the, the kudos for beating Rich at the quiz. Um, you know, and uh, mm -hmm. there you go. That's, that's how what often, you win. How often has Rich lost? I don't think it's that often. Like, it's a... He's he's won slightly more often mm -hmm. than he's lost, so I think he's up. I think he's level now. I think he might be level. kind of... I mean, the excluding the times that I've lost on his behalf. Oh, yes. you, you've got, you've dragged him right oh, down, yeah, Steve. Yeah, yeah. Like you've dragged him yeah. right so down. So it is it um, is a fairly big deal that you beat that that you beat Rich. Like he doesn't lose very often. No, it's true. Steve, talking of that, oh. you've got your own question. Okay. Uh, this one's just for you, mm -hmm. and uh, you need to tell me: Did this release in two thousand and five, or did it release in two thousand and fifteen? And the game is Wolf: The Red Hood Diaries. That sounds... I'm going to use the logic that I've used so far up to this point. That subtitle <laughs> makes it sound like a 2015 game. Uh, Rich, Ramud, would you agree? 
Uh, weirdly enough, I, I think 2005 oh, seems no. more likely since 2015 is too close to the Wolf Among Us. Yeah, that's, that's the one I was thinking of, actually. Uh, yeah, uh, different game. Um, hmm. So... Hmm. I'm going to say 05. Re- All right. I'm going to put Steve out his misery because he looks like he's really on the edge of his seat there. Um, Wolf the Red Hood Diaries released on PC in 2015. Yes! Ooh. My logic is infallible. <laughs> it is. It is infallible today. Um, and yes, that was. I think it was a game that was, um, it was funded by Kickstarter and there was a lot of controversy around it. So look it up. It's, uh, it's an interesting Controversy of what kind? Uh, basically, the the person who created it um, was unable to fulfil all of the backer rules oh, okay, because they fine. spent the money. Oh uh, the game did get released, but um, then a planned sequel never happened because of the controversy surrounding the Kickstarter and the way that its funding was used. Bummer. Um, yeah, but there we are. So uh, Mahmood, unfortunately, unfortunately, uh, Mahmood, fortunately, <laughs> beat Rich. And um, I, I have a, unfortunately I have a very important question before we oh. come to the end of this podcast. Um, okay. What kind of game is Ice Nine? Because I really, really want to know. I've got it up on my. So I was looking at it here. So Ice Nine, I've got Wikipedia up. So um, let's have a look. It was on the Game Boy Advance. It's a first-person shooter for the Game Boy Advance. About that's good. Um, and it was originally going to be a tie-in with the film The Recruit, apparently. However, however, it fell through. Uh, there was also a planned PlayStation 2 version that never came to be. Um, but yeah, basically, it's like a. It's almost like a spy game but it's a first person shooter you know proper first person on the game boy advance um which is very odd the screenshots make it look quite interesting quite graphically nice for a oh, really? game boy advance game it's as well. a yeah, horrible nice. name horrible yeah. name. yeah yeah it's not a great it's not a great game name at all um but there you go yeah. So that is us come to the end of the podcast. Um, thank you so much for joining us, my mood. It's been great, and we've had some great anecdotes and stories from you as well, which has been really good. Uh, no so thank you very much. No problem. Happy to do it anytime. Absolutely. And if uh, if people want to find you online, uh, where can they find you? Uh, well, you can right now follow me on Twitter at memudas twenty seven. I'm actually uh, working on something new right now, which hasn't launched, but I have set up. Twitter accounts for both of them so that people can get updates on there. Um, the first is PlayStation Pajamas, which is going to be my new weekly blog on the PS5. I've actually started sharing some tweets on there from the PS5. Uh, so it's nice. PlayStation Page 1 on Twitter. And um, there's, I'm also trying to create uh, a new... Uh, Sega Saturn repository, which is going to contain uh, reviews, uh, interviews, and cover art for every single Sega Saturn game. So that's a long-term project mm. that I want to take up because nice. I really, really love the Sega Saturn. So um, right now, I, I have I have an account on Twitter called at Market Saturn. It's the Saturn Market. Um, the website's going to be a while. It's going to be a couple of months. But uh, the PlayStationPajamas.com website should launch in December um, after I'm done taking screenshots for all the Dreamcast games for the book. So, Amazing. Very cool. Yeah. Um, besides that, um, I do run the web business. I'm self-employed. So you can check me out at whiteoutoriginals.com. And that's about it. Excellent. 
that sounds great. I'm going to definitely look at those uh, those two projects, and they sound really interesting, especially the Saturn one. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, and definitely looking forward to the screenshots for Dreamcast Year 2 as well. Yeah. So that's going to be great. Um, Rich, where can we find you? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Dreamcast Barber, and also more recently at, um, at Wolfie Pod as well, which is a 90s podcast yeah. that I'm doing with a gamer Jason UK. Very good, and a very good podcast it is too. Yeah. Um, so there you go. Give that a listen. Steve, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me at Steve Jack on Twitter, and I'm also known to lurk around the cross players also. That's correct, at the cross players on Twitter or thecrossplayers.com, uh, which is where I also lurk quite often these days. And uh, you can also find me at Obmint84. You can find all of us and anything to do with the book, uh, Dreamcast Year 1 or Dreamcast Year 2, at Dreamcast Years. And of course, you can find us on the web as well, which is dreamcastyears.co.uk, where you can find all of these podcasts um, and you can find where to back the book. Well, not back it anymore. You can you can late pledge for the book. Um, so if you go to dreamcastyears.co.uk, there's a link at the top of the page that will take you to Crowdox, where you can uh, late pledge for the book, uh, which is coming next year. Uh, all right that's everything i think uh thanks so much again um for joining me and um yeah thank everybody for joining us today uh, have a look at those games that we've talked about let us know your thoughts on them and join us again for game of the year which is going to be the next one that we do uh so until next time uh keep dreaming see you later thanks everyone bye, bye. adios